This is episode 10. Episode 10. Episode 10. <laughs> the episode everyone's been waiting for. Double digits. Here we are. <laughs> episode 10. Right. So that this week we've got Mark DeLille. Yeah, we got a we got a we pulled another swerve on you on you listeners uh, after a, a rambunctious and chaotic time last week. We brought in a commando of sorts. Yeah, one of my favorite humans on the planet, I have to say. So we got Mark DeLille this week. So we talk about his military career. Um, he, we talk about you know um, being born to law enforcement, military-type family. War stories. What it's like to be in the Army during the Cold War. I say it every time. I really enjoyed this one, but I'm going to say it again. I really enjoyed this one. Yep. And please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Uh, check us out on SoundCloud, on Stitcher. Uh, yeah. Really, if you love this show, or even if you like it, and if you follow it, um, and if you want to help us out, there's a really easy, free way of doing it, Richard. What is that? you got to just subscribe on iTunes, and rate, and leave us a review if you can, and that's the best way you can help out. I am Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, your senior drill instructor. From now on, you will speak only when spoken to. And the first and last words out of your filthy sewers will be, sir. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sound off like you got a pair. Sir, yes, sir. If you ladies leave my island, if you survive recruit training, you will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death praying for war. But until that day, you are pukes. You are the lowest form of life on earth. You are not even human fucking beings. You are nothing but unorganized, grabastic pieces of amphibian shit. Episode 10. Done. 10 for sure. Fire in a hole. <laughs> Fire in the hole. Fire in the hole. Or double digits, man. It's uh, it's it's getting real. <laughs> it certainly is. Shit just got real, as they say. Indeed. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Welcome. Thank so, you. Um, since things are getting serious, and by serious means, uh, actually, we're gonna just get sillier from this <laughs> point on. That's what we really mean by serious. Um. <laughs> I think it's a, a fitting time, perhaps, Richard, to introduce a man that you may have some 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 knowledge of, some acquaintance with. I've met him a couple times. Just a few, eh? <laughs> <laughs> know a little bit about this man. Yeah. So why don't you do the honors? Mark DeLille. Richard. Welcome Richard. to the podcast. Thank you much, guys. It's so an just honor. Uh, to put it into context, uh, who is this mysterious man? He may be married to my mom. All right. It's possible. Just possibly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> evidence. There's some evidence to that effect. All right. That's what they keep telling me. <laughs> and a hell of a guy. Yes, I can Welcome, attest sir. to that. A hell of a guy. Uh, we were just laughing about this earlier, just on the balcony earlier. We are talking about how uh, um, how well we get along. That's you true. And I, yes. Yes. Uh, despite the very limited exposure we've had to each other. Yeah, and uh, mostly in moving trucks. Mo- mostly in moving friends, family, family members, members, 
whoever just moving yeah yeah right it yeah. could almost be a like a sitcom yeah you're always my <laughs> shotgun driver outstanding yeah the, it just it works i feel like um maybe in the 70s we could have been a like a buddy cop combo like a quite possibly a streets of san yeah. francisco situation <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. right i would have been the hothead obviously uh and then you would have had to like rein me back in yeah calm you down yeah whoa camel <laughs> yeah, of course. Since it's the '70s, I would have had some sort of, uh, you know, I've been the Hispanic, the Hispanic cop, right? <laughs> like, like Chico or something, right? And then Chico's a bit of a hothead, but uh, you know, it's needed because we need to solve those inner city crimes. Absolutely, right? And then you bring the level-headed rules, politically correctness, and that's right. Keep right. you on the straight and narrow. You clear my name in episode five, right? When when I get framed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the one guy who sticks by you. Exactly. When the captain's yelling and he wants my badge, you know. No, no, he's a good guy. No, no, we, I can't live without him. <laughs> you got to give Chico another chance. He goes, we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, it's really great to have you with us here for episode 10. Um, I, uh, I sort of shot this out as an idea to uh, Richard a while ago uh, to have you on because um, I think that... I think one of the themes that keeps coming back in the show, as you've mentioned and as some other people have mentioned it, is we're sort of constantly trying to come back to this idea of um, separating the reality from, from the fiction, right? Yeah, I remember that in one of the podcasts uh, in reference to that, that uh, the, the movie uh, representations of uh, people's jobs and the reality is completely Oh, skewed. Yeah, yeah, and, and to a certain degree, it's completely understandable why this has happened, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it's just that it seems to have washed over into, uh, you know, usually the movie ended, and then you went home, and then you knew a, you actually knew a policeman, and you knew a fireman, and, you know, these jobs existed with, with the corresponding um, responsibilities and tools and training. Exactly. But now we're living in a weird sort of uh, uh, interloper, infiltrator uh, time. And also, I find that uh, there's a lot of uh, artistic, uh, what's the, the term? Artistic license. Uh, license. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Artistic license given to the various jobs. And I come from the aviation field. So 27 years in civil aviation and 12 years with the military. And watching airplane movies. Uh, it's killing you. It's killing me. Like passenger I mean, fifty-seven and passenger, stuff like that. Oh, yes. Where the, they take the, like the the elevator down into the cargo area. Actually, that's stuff. not too bad. That uh -huh. is actually a reality. Some of the uh -huh. aircraft, like ten elevens and seven forty sevens, had that. But some of the stuff, like um, the movie with Kurt Russell, there when they attach a stealth bomber to a seven forty seven oh. and crawl in and do the somebody commando was, shit. There. Somebody was just talking about this extreme measures or something, uh, something like that. And like this is the Seagal movie. Yes, where they yes. off him in the first uh, 20 minutes exactly <laughs> that, that, that one just the only realistic part is that the Kurt Russell character is I've only flown a Cessna before and he splats the 747 yeah you got it buddy You're, that's, <laughs> besides that it's, totally just uh, like riding a bike exactly it's right. like yeah get some it's so funny that you should bring up that film uh for those that don't remember and uh you know maybe i shouldn't help you remember this film because <laughs> it was a travesty but it is uh for its comedic value definitely worth a watch yeah. so this is an ensemble cast uh mid 90s movie i think i believe so yes yeah. and mm -hmm. uh they had your kurt russell's they had john leguizamo as i remember mm -hmm. and a bunch of other guys in one of these uh high 
in the in the air rescue yeah, power, yeah. hostage mm-hmm. situations. Yeah, exactly. And the reason I was I heard about it today is uh, just today I was listening to a bunch of things about uh, fake martial arts, which has been a theme in a couple yeah, episodes yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. We talked about fake martial arts, and uh, I found an interview. I got really interested in uh, Steven Seagal okay. because Seagal has been kind of a fixture. Speaking of movies and fictionalization, yeah. he's been a, he's been a fixture in our generations. Uh, That's very true, and he has been a bit of a fixture in the martial arts area and right. genre also. So always kind of uh, this this uh, real but not mm-hmm. real. Is he real? Is he crazy? Is he not crazy? Yeah. And there seems to be almost equal amounts of proof to to, to both. Both that he is. Right. Exactly. To establish him either as this secret genius or this complete buffoon that's that's managed to uh, fool everybody. So the, the, the thing I saw was John Linguizamo uh, talking about being on the set of this film. And uh, Steven Seagal, I think this is the first time they ever put him in an actual movie that was not a vehicle for him. Right. Okay, uh, and it's the first time he's rubbing shoulders with actual actors of, real, of yeah, a certain caliber, yeah. and it's clear that they were sort of dipping their toes in this because they kill him off in the first twenty minutes, mm-hmm. right? And Seagal doesn't die in his films; he doesn't he doesn't even bleed. I think no. uh, very uh, very seldom. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of like the, the bulletproof. He's he, bulletproof. Sh- he shakes it off and just struts away. Exactly, yeah. exactly, mm-hmm. uh, and runs like a girl apparently. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, John Linguizamo tells this very quick story about just being in the in the back, and then Steven Seagal just comes in, and uh, apparently this guy is the character. Like he mm-hmm. he just comes in and he says, "All right, guys, so here's how this is gonna go down. I'm the chief, and uh, you guys do as you're told." And uh, you know, just lays down the law in the locker room, right? And Linguizamo, who was not an actor I have a particular fondness for, but uh, He's, uh, he's a clown. He's always right. been a clown. So he immediately sort of cracked up and was like, yeah, sure, buddy, whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. You're, you're in charge. And apparently uh, Seagal put him in some sort of like slammed him against the wall or something. Really? Yeah. yeah. i never you're heard kidding. this before. He no. put him in like a chokehold and he's like, uh, you know, and like, was almost trying to tell him like, why? But he, he, the wind's been knocked out of him. So he's like, why? Why would why? you do this? Would you do this? Right? <laughs> Uh, so apparently he's a complete nut, but uh, you know that's neither here nor there. Um, so yeah, so like for a filmmaker like myself, um, watching films with sort of um, uh, shocking disregard for procedure uh, yeah. can be really uh, you know aggravating. And like for maybe Fred Nguyen, who was on our show. Watching phony martial arts might, you know, rub them the wrong way. Right, exactly. You're on top of everything else. You're also like a, a, a war film aficionado, yes, right? Yes, I am. Also, yes. So how how far does does that does that related to your to your military? Uh, yes, it does. Time? It's like well, take Top Gun. Okay, let's take. Top let's Gun. take Top Gun. The only interesting part for me of Top Gun is the first seven minutes when they show the carrier crews rep prepping the airplanes and launching them. Right after that. Have you noticed if you watch the movie, well, we're going to have a hop at 0800 tomorrow morning. And the planes miraculously appear on the tarmac and it's like, yeah. And the only time you see the crews is at the very end when they're all patting the pilots on their back right. for saving the world. It's like, bullshit, come on. There's a bunch of guys <laughs> working, men and women, humping their ass 24 hours a day getting those freaking airplanes ready. Right. You could give them a little crumb or two and uh, Acknowledge give them a them. few visuals. Well, I mean, to be really ah, fair, to be really fair, I mean, let, let let's be honest. This 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 film was, you know, ironically, 
uh, a vehicle, pure and simple, for the monster that was Tom Cruise as far as a True. as a star, right? But now that you mention it, you see, I've never picked up on this until you just mentioned it. But now I look back on it, and I feel like that was probably uh, stock footage. Uh, possibly. Like well, it wasn't even shot the... as part of the film, because that looked really... I remember, it looks really legit. The yeah, guys... exactly. Well, th- that, is, that is carrier operations, and it's true. Th- that is true reality when they're launching the aircraft it's the the they just i guess they just set up their cameras and told the guys do what you do launch the the launch the planes yeah and i'm there wow that's nice after that yeah check please <laughs> after that a whole bunch of steam <laughs> yeah a whole bunch of oily steam uh and and, and just sweaty guys bodies and sweaty bodies a lot of homoeroticism which i only realized much later how homoerotic this film was well it's a, it's a boys club eh? the the pilot community and the, yeah. there are more women today flying combat roles and civilian however it's still a boys club yeah of course it's there's more women club. than men flying flying those missions no, but there are some. There, okay. there are some. There are some, some, but there's not more. No, no. It's oh, okay. still a predominantly, I wouldn't, maybe 10% are women. And even then, That's I still even quote me. Progress, don't, even, don't even quote me on the percentage and maybe too high, but uh-huh. it's... So, uh, okay, so to put this into context, uh, how old were you when you when you joined the military? Were you conscripted? Yeah, I joined... No, no, I joined the military. I volunteered. I was an idealist. I grew up on John Wayne movies and... My dad brought me up on John Wayne flicks, and my dad was in the RCMP for 37 years. Wow, okay. So having a paramilitary background and an uncle that served in the Second World War, uh, well, guess what? As a bomber radio operator on Lancasters, eh, I was kind of, okay. oh, I'll, I want to do that. I'll raise my hand do, and volunteer. Do you qualify as a military brat at, this, at that stage? Uh, kind of semi, okay. uh, because we did move around. The RCMP moved us around a bit like the military, so... But okay. not in the true sense of the word, sure. I guess. So. But, the, but yeah. the, I'm guessing this came with some good core values. Um, yes. Right out of the gate. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it also prepared me for basic training and all that good stuff. So that now I can watch the first half of Full Metal Jacket and appreciate it. Understanding that it's hilarious as hell. However, there are there's a, there's a lot of reality to what goes on in basic. Right. So it's... Uh, Okay, so is that accurate? That one? Yeah, that's yes, a good question, is. right there. Yeah, for the time, for, yeah. for Under, Vietnam, understanding uh, for the Vietnam era, the abuse that the drill instructors put on the uh, the trainees was horrendous, and they had the uh, the god complex, and they were god. The drill instructors were god, even when I joined as a reservist. So we had a couple of individuals in the instructors who who took on that persona. Hard asses. Exactly, or, or tried to. Uh-huh. And Was it because of the movie or just the American influence? It could be, and it could be part of their own personal egos. I'm not sure. But they were always trying to be the hard asses, make us run behind their cars, you know, because you're a defaulter, you didn't march, you didn't do your left, right, right, left, so extra drill for you. And, oh, well, uh, we'll have you jog behind our car just because we can. You know, sort of thing. it's like, oh, come on. And make the whole troop do the same thing, and you can thank Mark for not something, doing his something push-ups to that, properly. Exactly, and, yeah, yeah, exactly, and that sort of thing, or uh, Fred, or uh, anyone else, and yeah. This is great. I mean, you, there's you, almost like a whole topic onto itself so, here. So it, it winds... You wind up going through that, and it's like, in my case, well, my dad wasn't, he was a disciplinarian, but he wasn't uh, a tough, hard, like a gunnery sergeant Hartman there. Okay. 
he wasn't, but there was core values. Yes, sir, no, sir. You respected your parents and you did what you were told. And having grown up with that, when I got the basic training, it was like, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. And it was what it was. Just the I way it was. I, yeah, exactly. And I, it was some of the stuff my master corporal would be yelling at me and I'm there. My dad yells at me better than that. This is a joke. <laughs> I mean, come on, Sparky. You can do better than that. So there was less culture shock for you. Yes, there and, was. And I think a lot of the, the, the reason for how they behave is is exactly. to, to shock you into into be into behaving the... the exactly, and to way. toe the line and to understand that it's teamwork and that you're not an individual and that you have to throw your individuality away. And... I got that. I understood that. That wasn't a problem. I would, but it was just, and then they had to yell at you for whatever reason. And what was kind of uh, ironic was the, I guess, nepotism, I guess, might be the term for it. Or it's, it's a big family. Eh? Everyone kind of inter knows each other. And it's, uh, and I'm going through, I'm this little private recruit here, and I'm running behind cars and saluting in the first weekend of extra duties that I have, you know, they have you mopping up the hangar floor and oh, yeah, moving okay. lockers and stuff. And who does come by is the wing commander. And uh, the wing commander stops and says, hey, Mark, how's it going? Sir, I'm doing fine, sir. Thank you for asking, sir. And he says, oh, that's true. You're under, he says, carry on. <laughs> with, a big, with a big smile on his face. Because the wing commander was, was he was just. A full, was a full colonel. But he knew your family. Yeah, he and my father were both aide de camp to the governor general, and it's through oh. him that I was introduced to join the air, the air reserves. Interesting. So all of a sudden, I get the second lieutenant and uh, the chief, the senior NCO. Uh, how come you didn't tell us uh, that uh, you knew the colonel? Oh, okay. And well, I didn't think. That was relevant. I'm, yeah. I'm just a normal. Plus, if recruit. you I'm had just a rest, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, a, just I'm a normal peasant like everybody else. I'm there. I don't know. Well, uh, that changes things. Not in my mind. I mean, right. that's not supposed to. My dad. My dad started off as uh, as a constable in the RCMP and worked his way up to being an officer. But he earned it and he humped his ass. But in my case, it was the same thing. I. That was what I was shown so it was like this is so interesting because this is again if i think back to our interview with fred nguyen our martial artist yeah friend, um he was he had a similar thing happen to him but he had the martial arts training from day one exactly. right yeah. so that brought a certain core values to him but that other people didn't have when he finally went out into the world right exactly so when you interacted with regular people was it there a bit of a culture shock there seeing that most people maybe either lacked the core values or that they were not as uh, enforced in there? Well, some of the people that had joined, a lot of the people were families of her ex-military, who parents were military okay. and that they... Second gen, third gen. Second, exactly. So that some of us, some of them were straight off the street and they learned the harder way that this is teamwork and we all get together and getting your, uh, your bed pro turfed around or right. my favorite my favorite one is being confined to barracks on the weekend for pets in the window okay you have the uh, CO's inspection on Friday and that tells you if you're going to have leave on the weekend to go out and play or if you get to wash cars at the motor pool or do 
God knows what. Menial tasks. So I, my room peel is potatoes. clean. I mean, we've measured. Yeah, that's the one. Peel that's the potatoes. Cliche. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's the cliche. Yeah. Well, thank God, no, no mess duty. So they have us measuring our beds, everything, the okay, forty-five so degree real. angles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, I remember a friend of mine told me about that. The, they have a special the stick, hospital, right? hospital corners at forty-five degree angles. The head had to be folded down so much distance. The lip of the oh yeah, the, everything. And they'd measure it. They had their measuring stick, and uh-huh. and the only and thing they they weren't anal about was uh, the flipping of the coin on the bed that it was taught that it bounced. Oh yeah, I've seen that. In but movies, they yeah. there was there were some instructors that were I've seen some of them do it to other recruits when I was an instructor, and so I'm like huh, okay, but. What what's, what segment of the of the military were you in? I was with the Air Force. You were the Air Force. Okay, yeah. so your your dad was Air Force too? No, my dad was RCMP. Or he was RCMP. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was RCMP. Had he done any military training in his time? Well, the RCMP when he joined in the 1950s was paramilitary training. Oh. They were they did the whole left right left right and everything else. Then they got into the policing aspect afterwards. But their basic training is uh, is a lot of paramilitary. Okay. And it still is a bit today, although there's more policing, police training and stuff like that. They put more of the emphasis on it today than they did back then. They've, they've kind of become our FBI in a sense, haven't they? Are there like federal police? Yes, they are. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. But again, in some places, they're municipal police. Okay. Like in my brother's case, when he graduated, he was assigned to the uh, Coquitlam detachment and he was doing regular policing like anybody else squad car the whole yeah bit. the whole nine yards okay so, yeah but the so there there's elements of the fbi there's elements of regular policing they're a bit of a hybrid uh-huh. actually so. which makes them kind of cool uh, kind of interesting yeah they are in, the, in the, their own right yeah but there's that whole equestrian tradition as well right yes from from the mm-hmm. from the mounted clearly the name right yeah the mounted police they well, did they did they do still ride horses uh, or is that all just symbolic now? No, well, the musical ride rides horses. Like in my dad's time in the 50s, they were assigned a horse. And they had to do all the mountain trading, shovel the shit in the whole nine yards. Nice. They had all that to do. Oh, wow. In my brother's time, they did all the dismounted <laughs> drill and all that stuff. That, that, But they didn't get to play with the horses. There was no horsies. So uh, <laughs> if you want to play with horses, you have to join the musical ride and... That's, Which is like a is like is that like a ceremonial? Yeah, it's a uh, ceremonial show. Uh, the show, the centerpiece for the RCMP, with the, the d- demonstrating all the drill from way back when and so on. Wow, it's more of a historical thing. Yeah, exactly, and more of a PR entertainment sort of thing. And it's quite, it's actually quite cool to watch when you look at the synchronicity with a whole bunch of horses on there and the drill they do. It's still about discipline, right? Yeah. It's still about discipline. Comes back down to discipline okay. all the time, left, right, and center. So, so. you jo- join the Air Force with. The intent of becoming a pilot? No, at this point, my uh, aviation dreams had been shattered oh. due to la- lousy eyesight. Okay, right. Yeah, so, so the you had to requirements have, are very. Yeah, uh, you have to have twenty twenty vision or better than, and I my eyes suck. So. You're not allowed to have corrected vision at all. Or? Well, LASIK didn't exist back right, then, the so I'm assuming that if. But even then, I'm not even sure they would accept it because after you've had your eyes zapped, when you're pulling six Gs in a fighter. It, maybe they'd limit you to transport command, tra- fly, flying Hercules or C seventeen cargo planes. Yeah, but I couldn't see pulling six or eight G a turn on a on an F eighteen, and with your eyes, it, I don't know if they. That's a good darn good one, but no. My mm-hmm. my career was uh, basically I knew I was going to be a ground crewman, so okay. Uh, 
that was uh, the understanding. Hence your appreciation for the ground crews. Exactly. The top <laughs> <laughs> having, having frozen my keister off at uh, 2 oh, a.m. in yeah. minus, uh, minus 20 weather refueling aircraft and towing them and oh my God. doing all that. So you've been on an aircraft carrier. Not an aircraft carrier. No. I just no, no. I'm not in the navy. Ugh. Okay. No, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm an ig- I'm ignorant. No, I, 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 no. We stay. We'd serve here on bases in okay. Canada, like Saint Hubert or Bagotville or mm-hmm. places like that. But when it gets cold, like here at uh, minus twenty, and you get the wind chill factor at minus thirty-five, it gets a might nippy here, and you have to refuel an airplane and do your checks and all that stuff. Jeez, just going That's out. Be rough. Just just going outside and uh, that weather close to the water, you're like, I'm going back in. Exactly. So being yeah. on the water, it must be, or oh, being no, even it, near, uh, near any sort of uh, on a, out on of a civilization. Vessel, on a vessel, plus add the pitching and rolling of the ship and stuff oh, like that. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. No, mm. thank you. So uh, Not sure. He, let's, let's correct a couple of more uh, misconceptions here, or maybe uh, truisms, depending yeah. on what. Okay. So when I, when I accidentally suggested that you might have done Navy-type stuff, did that sting you a little as as an airman? Yes, we, yes, because we don't. No, the navy is the navy, and uh, although strangely enough, in Canada, all the helicopters that are on the destroyers and the frigates belong to the air force. Okay, is that unusual? Uh, it is because normally in other countries, aircraft that are on ships belong to the navy, but with the unification in the 1960s of the armed forces. We wound up, uh, the Air Force inherited anything that flew, period. Okay. So, so that's unusual. Is what so you're it is unusual that you will have a Navy ship with Air Force personnel assigned to it. So they have to coexist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But it, there's still Air Force, not oh, yeah. Navy. Yeah. yeah there's, <laughs> so interesting. So right. the inter, the inter, uh, the inter, the, how do you say that? Like inter, departmental. Depart, interdepartmental. Rivalries between the army, the air force, the navy. Right. Uh, what was it in the Second World War? They'd say the uh, what is it? The, the men of the army, the gentlemen of the air force, and the boys of the navy, or something okay. like that. Okay. Yeah, know, the just, navy always got the shit. Yeah, from they the always got it. So. But it all depends on what the dynamics are, right? Because sometimes yeah. the army is like the the butt of the joke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The ground pounders, or whatever the hell they call them, like the well, uh, there's grunts, some other ground pounders. Uh, and depends if they're armored type. We call them zipper heads. Zipper heads. Uh, zipper heads. So that's a, that's another story. I love that stuff. I love that stuff because it's such a unique environment. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Here is a group of people who are completely taken out of society and completely yeah. taken out of the, the mechanics um, and, and forces that rule everyone else's lives. They're told that they are supposed to do these very specific jobs. But then they also have to kind of leave some room for the human, right? Yeah, just a little bit. And you're trained to go out. And, and again, I'm projecting from my era today in this politically correct world. I can't speak for how the, uh, the airmen soldiers are trained. But back then it was the Cold War. So yeah, a right. lot of the philosophy was kill the commies. So oh, yeah. you were trained to shoot and use the weapons and look downrange and imagine that that's the red menace coming at you and open fire so it's like how far we've come so it's like <laughs> it's a completely different world now <laughs> well it, it, it's it's uh, it's funny you mentioned that because uh we were discussing it at work and saying during my uh, my state my time in uh, in germany there there was pictures of uh, the red brigade be careful and if you spot this person to uh, alert police so you had the uh, red brigade the batter meinhof gang to a lesser degree and various other 
Soviet communist uh, reactionary groups that were threatening to blow up. These the, are terrorist factions. They're, they're terrorist factions. Huh. And the, I think the only Arab faction at the time was the PLO. Was That's Yasser right. Arafat and his and the PLO? They weren't organized time. yet. Yeah, they were. They were just starting. It was nascent, but it was all the uh, the 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 communist shit disturbers that were being uh, uh, funded by the KGB to disrupt uh, the Western uh, powers. Amazing. So and today, well, it's more Arab. Uh, yeah, but it seems to me so, that the more and more, the further, the, and, and I, maybe we're going to come back to this, you know, in the context of the, the travesties that happened in Paris lately, mm-hmm. but um, um, it seems that more and more I find out and more and more I read, it seems like we're in another Cold War, uh, this time between the Saudis and the Iran, and then like Russia starting yeah. to like kick up the dust again. and. Mm-hmm. It's almost the Canadian bacon again, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like they want to mix it up. Remember the, that scene yeah, where he's exactly. like, you guys, uh, you know, you guys want to mix it up again? You know, like the old days. They're like, nah, we're into, what is it? Uh, the Russian guy's like, sorry, we're into indoor plumbing now. So we don't really feel like it. Exactly. And uh, the Americans are all dejected. They're like, oh, man, come on. It was good for business. So, okay. So you're in the military. Um, and then you go towards engineering i guess or 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 repair? Well, in my case it was more well it was technical it was more uh, in my trade was uh, aircraft instrumentation electrical systems and all that so basically the avionics trade okay so i had, you selected a trade and you went through all the exams and they basically looked at where your aptitudes were and they said okay well you can uh, you can be a ground crewman you can be a technician so there's various types there's airframe engines and then there's the you have uh, a specialty yeah so I was specialized in the avionics, the aircraft instrumentation, electrical stuff. So Okay. So for those that don't know, like me, uh, what is that specifically on the panel plane? Which, which piece it's of the plane a, all is the it? stuff in the cockpit. Well, okay. it's, all the electri- it's the electrical systems on the aircraft. That it'd be the aircraft instruments that the pilot reads, the uh, commands within the flight sticks and so on, the, to the blinking lights on the outside of the aircraft, okay. you name it, using the hoists, so on. Yeah. That's really great. That's amazing. So yeah, no, no wonder you, you must uh, have all sorts of opinions when you're watching films. Yeah, exactly. I, when I watch, especially the aviation stuff, what, what like, are they getting wrong? Maybe we should we talk about that a little bit. Well, what are what are the consistent misconceptions that they they uh, seem to be doing? Well, the, some of the bigger irritants with, and it's the uh, you'd think they show you an aircraft taking off. You can wind up seeing a DC nine taking off and a seven forty seven landing with the interior of of uh, an L-1011 or a DC-10 or something. Um. The consistencies aren't there. Then if it's an airplane like Passenger 57 or stuff like that, where they they portray what's happening in the flight deck and, oh, yeah, we'll just flip this switch and we'll do this and look, the planes, it doesn't exactly work like that. Right. (laughs) So the, the technical stuff... The like rent, the like wrenching the yeah. the controls. Like we gotta bring her up. We gotta exactly. bring her up. Exactly. Yes. Like, and they don't even show like there's if you stall it, there's a stick shaker and the stick will vibrate to tell you don't do that. You know, push down sort of. Th- they just. Oh really? Uh, what about the cliche uh, of uh, you know somebody on the plane being guided and landing the plane with instructions from the tower? If the if the person has a bit of flight experience. Yeah. They could maybe pull it off, but someone who doesn't, yeah, good luck. And I'm an avid flight simmer. Right. So we know I this fly, about you. I, exactly, you have a dedicated room. I have a dedicated room for wow. flight simming. And 
I go splat more times than I care to uh, to uh, to admit. admit. So uh, and, and that's pretty hardcore. And, the and the can, flight simming thing, like yeah. you, your your setup is is the real deal. Like, well, it's you, getting it's getting there. It will be it will be improved. It will be improved. <laughs> but but you have realistic real time weather conditions. Yes, I use realistic weather conditions. I have yokes, pedals, uh, throttle quadrant, the whole nine yards. Yeah, this but is not a video game. Uh, well, it is linked to the Microsoft uh, f- uh, Flight Sim FSX. There, okay. the tenth Flight Sim. It is linked to that. However, well, there's if you no can, video gaming there. It's not just if you can land this this plane, the sim, you should be able to do the real de- the real thing. How much? How much maybe. of a discrepancy is there? Well, apart from the physical, depending forces, on the, depending on the the the, mo- the aircraft model, uh, you could probably do a, a good job. And actually, the flight simulator is used. Uh, is allowed by the FAA to train for your private pilot's license. Oh wow! They will allow you to because uh, they're that good now. They're or? that they're that good, and the uh, the aircraft that they simulate the the controls and all that stuff is very uh, realistic. The setup that you have is probably better than what people were training on in like the seventies, eighties. Well, it, it is, and what's really interesting was uh, you know that Northwest. Uh, what is it? The, the Northwest Territories pilots there, the Buffalo Air thing you see on um, those like History hi- Channel hydroplane there. guys or no no it's the, the the guys that fly the uh, the transports up into Yukon and the, and the Northwest Territories oh, to, and all to that to bring supplies bring supplies yeah. all over the place and they were showing the, this person who needed to get some DC three uh, simulator time and their simulator was the a similar type setup that I have in my uh, in my office my so home office you're not playing around so I'm like. Oh, cool. Okay, well, if they're using that and they're, this is certified, but there is products out there that give you like the half of a 737, and that's what I'm aiming for. That's so interesting. So that's, that's what you want to do. That's, that's, yeah, that's yeah, your that's, goal. That, that's to set that's up going, your whole garage to be like the real. Well, thing, a section right? of my office actually. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. The uh, to get a get a flight get my flight sim set up. So I'm uh, I'm actually okay. looking forward to uh, to that. It'll be. Uh, it's not cheap. No, I, I uh, guess it's it 16, 17 grand. Oh, wow. Okay. So well, to be fair. I've been saving my pennies. <laughs> <laughs> to be I've fair, been a good boy. Some guys are building like uh, Batcave yeah. uh, movie theaters in their basement, and like that's a big thing now, mm-hmm. building yeah. these like, yeah, uh, yeah. Or, or the Bridge of the Enterprise or whatever. So this is your baby. This yeah, is that's your my, exactly. That's my baby. So, uh, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, getting that set up. In okay. The, in and you got the real airline seats in the, in the basement. Yes, too, right? yes, yes. <laughs> I've got my first class seats there for probably a better watching. experience than 90% of actual flights. Yeah. Right. Well, the service is better <laughs> and better selection. <laughs> That's right. Well, okay. So, all right. So, there's this mismatching of okay. interiors, exteriors, landing. Again, I think uh, I personally have an easier time forgiving this because, from a production standpoint, mm-hmm. I know what kind of immediate costs yes. anything mm-hmm. like that represents, and I know that a lot of films rely fairly heavily on on stock footage of, yes, of planes agreed. taking off and on and, and also there's other necessities right that develop i'm thinking of a movie like um uh, air force one yeah mm-hmm. okay so how how did that one rate in terms of accuracy that wasn't too bad okay it wasn't was bad. Harrison Ford one? yeah yeah gary yeah. oldman as a oh, yeah, 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 non, yeah, non-specific non-specific east east european villain <laughs> actually the best in my opinion the best uh aviation related movie is the high and the mighty okay with john wayne which dates back to the mid early maybe mid 50s the movie was written and produced 
by I forget the gentleman's name, but he was a commercial pilot. So when you watch the air the, the movie, you see that the flight engineer is is using his uh, slide rule to calculate his fuel. Everything is realistic when they're in the cockpit. The interplay between the captain, the first officer, and the flight engineer, it's, it's legit. bang on. It's legit. That that just pleases me. If yeah. I if I want to watch something, I'll watch that one. And and it's actually as a piece of useless trivia, it was a precursor to all the aviation disaster movies. Okay, well, that's that's not a useless piece of trivia at all. So this is a uh, this this movie was the first the in the genre of aviation uh, okay. disaster flicks. So it was like, oh, we don't cool. think about airplane films as a genre, but and they've never been categorized as such, right? They just get put up there with thrillers, or yeah, uh, clearly you yeah. won't you won't be able to watch them on a plane, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, you, unless you really want to freak the passengers yeah, out. Clearly, yeah. pranks have been very likely pulled in the past, uh, and will continue to be pulled in this effect, right? But uh, uh, do you have a do you have a plane movie that you like? Do you, is there one that comes airplane? to mind for you? Maybe? Airplane. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one that keeps coming back to me, the one that I probably would put up there as one of my favorites all time was uh, the Memphis Bell. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was uh, about uh, B-2s, B-2 bombers? B-17s. B-17s, yeah. right, because they're British. No, American. They're American planes? American, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's right. They're American because yeah. one guy talks about uh, starting a McDonald's or something. Yeah, exactly. So Harry Connick Jr., uh, Sean Astin and a bunch of guys. Billy Zane, I think, yeah. is in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Billy Zane, um, <laughs> <clears throat> acting normal, right? Not being weird, not being Billy Zane, yeah. just being mm-hmm. a regular guy. Um, and it's, if I recall correctly, it's the last run because they had to run a twenty-five missions, right? And that was the Memphis Bell's twenty-fifth mission. Okay. So yeah, no, it, that that one was actually very well done. Yeah, and I really like John Lithgow's uh, performance as a the total prick PR officer oh, who's only right. thinking about public relations and what it's going to look on the home front, not giving a shit about the, the crews, real, the I men mean. that are actually having to go through the hell. No, no, no. Did I you encounter want... any of that in, in your in your in your not, experience? No, no, be, no. I didn't get shot at. So no, I, I, I guess I mean having to run into these. Because we talked about with Fred about fake martial artists, mm-hmm. right? So, um, have you ever run into fake soldiers? Oh, posers, yeah. Fake well, of Oh, yeah. What yeah, does yeah. that look like? Well, the people that are dressed up in military uniforms and they strut around and they they try to show that they know something and picking up women. Uh, picking up women. Oh, well, that that's <laughs> that's something else. Yeah, the uniform. I'd be guilty hurt. of that. I'm I'm afraid I have to admit I'd be guilty of that. We'd see, we'd see them at air shows. Okay. Because we. I've done a couple of air shows where we'd fly the helicopters to the air show, you'd park it, then the pilots would do the presentation and the meet and greets, and we were there to provide maintenance support when we flew home, or if something broke or whatever. And you, if you look at the, the Kiowa, which is the military version of the Jet Ranger, which is a helicopter that you see in most movies around, uh, there's a tube at the at the front the pitot tube which is that lets the air suck in for the airspeed indicator and all that good stuff well everybody assumes it's a machine gun oh okay yeah <laughs> that's i think that that's the, the 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 first question oh that that's the gun so you you get the the poser will strut up with the uh, pro forma blonde bimbo with the huge rack yeah and uh he'll point oh yeah this is he'll he'll read the the, the plate you know don't don't touch that eye. sweetie because dangerous yeah, ex- exactly and it's like oh and she says well what's that in the nose he says oh that's the machine gun you know it's like yeah. <clears throat> and we're all standing there like <laughs> 
but I don't yeah. want to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Too many bad memories. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So um, yeah. I would be so guilty of that. Like, I'd want to be a real soldier, but I would be bilking it for everything that it's worth, right? <laughs> but I, I, I will admit that wearing the flight suit and uh, strutting around with the, in the flight suit and the brain bucket, uh-huh. uh, yeah, at an air show, it can be a chick magnet. Of course. So. Of course. There's a huge scene for this stuff, too, right? Oh, yeah. One thing I've always thought was very interesting is there's like this whole, there seems to be this whole... Uh, a segment of the population that is has a huge military fetish, mm-hmm. uh, but they have never they have never actually been right. Mm-hmm. Like we we saw that example, I think, of that guy that got busted at one of the at the Remembrance Day Remembrance ceremony Day? last year. Yeah, Remember he that, was Richard? he was wearing the no. wrong uni- he had the wrong uniform, the wrong badges. He didn't even do his homework. I mean, if right. you're going to pose. At least do it right. Read it that up. was the most I mean, insulting part. But what happened? Exactly? This guy was a repeat offender. Yeah, he, he, the guy showed up and his uh, and he was wearing uh, reflective sunglasses, which is a no-no. The badges and the medals that he wore did not meet the regiment that he was uh, representing, and that the regiments, especially the airborne regiments, that's a very small community, right. and they, the guys all know each other, and. All of a sudden, one guy emails another guy that emails, did you see that guy? Where does this guy come from? And all of a sudden, it got declared that he was a poser. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. He got, uh, and he got charged. And he got he, in trouble. He, he got in trouble, and he went to court, and he got charged with something, and he paid a fine. Or what was whatever. his end game? What was he trying to achieve? Uh, he wanted to show off that he was a war hero. Probably he wow. was trying to milk that 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 energy, right? The, that Yeah, the, that prestige and that persona. So that uh, Oh, yeah, it. This is right up there with the with the fake martial artist guys, right? Yeah. Like they just want the prestige, they want the respect that comes with it. Without putting in the time and the effort that it takes to be real. Right. So Right. This is this is the uh, people just wanting that end result and, or even fictionalizing again, right? Mm-hmm. The the on, with military it's weird. And again, mm-hmm. you can correct me if I'm off on this because to a certain degree, war and and the military depends a little bit on that romance, on that romantic, fictional nobility of it. Oh, absolutely. Right? That's what got me sucked in in the first place was the uh, the the mysticism of it, like you know, serving your country, serving your country, and all this, and defending gonna, your home. We're going to push the, the the big bad Russian bear back to where he came from, right. and all this stuff. And then reality sets in after yeah. basic training, after you go to the weapons range. And when you've worked on the aircraft, you've deployed in the field for quite a few exercises or whatnot. Then you start realizing, uh, well, maybe I was not exactly right in my uh, my view, my initial view. Well, okay, because so the what, glamour is not the glamour not there. Is not, it's just a fucking job. It's just a fucking. I mean, it's a job. cool job, but, but it's, it's just a it, fucking job. There, there, there's still the. Okay, what is the, delus- the disillusionment? The disillusionment was you expected that oh yeah we're going to be equipped and we're going to be doing shit and all this stuff and it's raiding the, homes. And, yeah, well, or exactly, like and it's the, the drudgery of it is that when you're in when you're at the at the base it's like you're scrubbing you're washing the windshield of the aircraft you're towing it in towing it out doing your checks the aircraft flies if you're lucky you uh, you get a ride. Or you get some, uh, you get a crewman status or whatnot. And What's that exactly? Well, sometimes some of the guys will be uh, will be assigned as you'll be able to be sent on a flight engineering course so that you can fly in the aircraft if it's an aircraft that has flight engineers or an observer or something to that effect. Depends on the type of aircraft 
And this is you, based on your, your performance? Like if based on your performance and you can apply, you apply for it. And if there's slots open and if there's, there's openings, they can say yes or no or whatnot. Depends okay. on if you're a good doobie and you did your job and you're a keener. But again, I love these words that, that like a keener, a doobie. I love this. It's, it's, so you're, you're just, it, you've done your job and all that stuff. And then you say, oh, well, my career, where do I want to go? So then I say, well, I want to try that or I'll try something else. And then you apply for the jobs and you take the courses. And if you fail, you, you fail, well, you go back to what you were before. And like, there's a lot of guys that uh, in our unit that decided that, oh, well, I've been in the forces for five or six years and uh, I know the, the way the game is played. I want to be a pilot. So he applies and he's got the academics and he's got everything. And the fact that he, he I, they give him cred for, for having served. at least served, yeah, yeah, for time served. But then again, he gets there and he fails the course. And then he gets sent back to, to the unit, you know. So uh, then with shame on his... Uh, because yeah, geez, you don't want to come back with that with that, that no, tail exactly. tucked between exactly. your legs. Yeah, your tail, your tail tucked between your legs. And a lot of guys will, will quit after that because they didn't succeed or whatnot. Or some some have balls the size of Manhattan and they just uh, they keep going on. They just they don't care. To. Yeah, they'll, they'll well, not necessarily try uh, to be a pilot, but they'll keep on in their, their career as uh, whatever they were doing. It's like so. a bunch of little tribes, right? Like they're all part of this one big fighting force, but they're all, and they, and that's also something that's kind of enforced, from what I understand. Like the, it's like they want to, they want you to make to kind of put your humanity aside a little bit, your individuality aside to become yeah. part of this part uh, of the team, part of this team. Yeah. But at the same time, the groups, the little little units and, and, and sections immediately develop like a thing, like a tribal... Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's always right? ri there's friendly rivalries between squadrons. There's, uh, like, and some of the, 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 the stuff that goes on, the, the, we, uh, one of the units I was with got its, its uh, flag stolen. Which oh, was, that's which bad. Is, that is bad. That's terrible. That's terrible. So... The uh, like individual. The worst. Oh yeah, that that. But it wasn't the col it wasn't the colors. It was okay. just the uh, the the flag of the, of the of the unit and the duty uh, the duty officer at the time forgot to bring the flag down. And oh. someone from a rival squadron was driving by, saw the flag, saw that there was nobody there, and nicked it. Right. So almost, um, and you would almost be unofficially told that you should do that if someone leaves it unattended of course of course of this course. is a this is a collegial uh, <laughs> mascot exactly uh, stealing that's exactly. exactly so basically <laughs> after that the uh, sergeant major ripped this uh, individual a new one yeah twice over not and the guy who stole it no no the guy, no, who, no, no, the guy who stole it from another unit so uh, oh, he probably he's, got a hero's welcome yeah his unit is patting him on the back and here have a few beers so finally uh at one opportunity, we um, we had an exchange with a, a squadron from the Royal Netherlands Air Force, and the Flying Dutchman. The Flying Dutchman. <laughs> I wanted to call groan, him that. Groan, groan. <laughs> Not bad though. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we arranged with them to fly over to the base where this other squadron was residing. And they kind of said, oh, uh, we're from the uh, 298 uh, Royal Netherlands uh, Air Force, and we'd like to visit you guys. Oh, yeah, sure, come on in and all this stuff. And in the meantime, we had some of our guys tucked away in the back of the helicopter. And when we landed, they all rushed out, stole their flag, and then oh, got back God, in the helicopters amazing. and fucked off sort of thing. Our tax dollars are working. Exactly. <laughs> so, so then we said, okay, 
It's we on. Have something, we have something you want, mm-hmm. and you have something we want. Prisoner exchange. Exactly. So How poetic. Some, <laughs> so at some point during a big field exercise, there was a meeting of the minds in the middle of a, an empty field. Right. And the flags were exchanged, and then much beer was drank. And oh, everyone good. Was, oh, all no, ends. All, all's, all's well that ends, ends well. well. So it was... This is, this is a great story. I love this type of stuff. I, I, you know, some people will be like, oh my God, this, they're doing this during... They're supposed to be on duty. I'm like, no, this is exactly the kind of shit I want to know that these guys are doing to unwind. I it, wouldn't it, want it, people... And it shows the camaraderie the between within a, a single unit. And even after that, the fact that the two units could get together and say... Okay, and one you was a fight, one was yeah. a fighter squadron, and one was a tactical helicopter squadron, and that they still say, "Yeah, we're all in the same team anyway." Good on you. Someone <laughs> someone fucked up, and they they got their they got just the, desserts. They, they got their just desserts, and uh, a little mutual respect. The fact that we were able to pull something off like that, well, they say, "Yeah, well, good on you. You uh, you got us." So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing at some point too the, the the commanding officers like they'll 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 find yeah. it funny, but after a while you're like, "Okay, guys, wrap it up." Oh yeah, you know, there's uh, the, there was the, they they keep us uh, under wrap here. They, right. You know they they hold the the the, the reins really tight on us. So it's, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I think it's fun. important to probably to have some kind of outlet to blow off some. Steam oh, absolutely. Too. It's also to say that there's the unit, the the pride in the unit that you're going to make an effort to support your unit. Or if you did that to another unit, well, I said you're supporting us by doing making someone else look bad. So it's yeah. It's all part of the whole camaraderie teamwork thing. Does it ever go bad? Is there any any? Does it ever go into brawls or? or? Oh, yeah, there's there's yeah, there has been brawls. There has to be right. There's there are fights, but a lot of the, some of the fights are not necessarily. It's more. It's not the, UFC it's, level. Uh, uh, maybe like guys are not like clearing the table and smashing each other's faces. Not no no wall. not within not within the units themselves, but when you wind up in a civilian military environment, yeah that. That that can get uh, okay. Explain. Well, you you wind up with people from from the army that are uh, t- all together, and you've gone through a field exercise. You're having a rough week, a rough month, a rough whatever. You go out, and then you go out to a civilian bar, and then well, a lot of the uh, uh, civvies get they want to show they want to show off to the soldiers. They want to show off to their girlfriends that they're tougher than the next the next person or the guy the army guy that's there or whatnot. And you wind up with bar brawls and stuff like that. So nice. Uh, okay, it's good to know some of these cliches are, are in <laughs> place. But then the MP show up and everyone. Yeah, and then it, you right? wind up going to jail in the whole night. No, so. is this true? Because I've heard this reiterated a few times that like, you do not fuck with MPs. Like the MPs. No, you never, the, never, no, 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 you don't. Mess so where those? Where do those guys come from? Military police. Right. Well, they're. Uh, it's a branch of the armed forces, and there's. They go it, through it, basic. They go through basic training, and a lot of them will be assigned to an infantry regiment or whatever job that they're doing. And then they apply to be uh, military police. Then they go through military police training, which is police training. It's going to so, be so interesting. So it's a different, it's a different uh, mentality. So, and then, of course, when you're dealing with tough guys that are trained to kill, you have to be tougher than them. So the MPs don't take any the who watches shit the watcher. from it. They don't take shit from and rightly so. Jeez. I mean, you, I, no, I would not personally. I wouldn't mess with the MPs. That was. Uh, well, it's like growing a dog, like grooming a dog to watch your other dog. Like you're attacking. <laughs> you get a Rottweiler, and you need a Rottweiler watching dog. 
Yeah. You clearly do not want to fuck with that dog. Yeah. Right? Exactly. You got to be exactly. a badass to be able to police the badasses. Exactly. Yeah. It's something something to that effect. So it's and it's not necessarily an easy task for them because they get a lot of abuse too. The 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 regular people have no respect for them. For the for the for MPs? the military, yeah, for the MPs. Well, because they're cops, and then exactly. No matter is, where you are, cops get that like they, they get, get some the shit. short. They get the yeah. short change from the uh, from the uh, regular constituency. Right. Yeah. Is it kind of like internal affairs with the cops a bit? Like, the, like are they viewed I'm, as like as traitors to the? I don't think so. I I'm not. I never never really was exposed to to the military police side of things. So yeah. I just steered clear from them. And you know, you're a good boy. Well, kind of, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I never got caught. You know what the chain of command is? It's a chain I go get and beat you with. Till you understand who's in rotten command here. Hazing rituals. That's something that keeps coming up with with uh, with uh, military. That uh, you know, you hear all kinds of things about. I mean. You hear about it in sports. You hear about it in any kind of boys' club. Uh, I think a few good men maybe would be the the, the prime example of it mm-hmm. actually being a plot line. There's you, clearly you went through some of that, right? You had to deal with a little bit of that. Some of the yes and yeah yes and no. We were the Air Force is the more gentler of the, of the uh, of the branches of the how, military. How apropos. <laughs> 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 as 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 opposed to it's the youngest branch actually of the of the military the navy and the army that being makes the, sense. being the oldest so as far as traditions go and all that for the hazing it's not we weren't really the basic training is your is is part of the hazing process okay. and that's where we come back to like when we saw you see full metal jacket and the abuse that was going on that was Basically, the hazing that uh, right. that we you saw was within the basic training. Uh, but again, correct aspect. me if I'm I'm wrong here, but um, my understanding of the context of Full Metal Jacket, as this was at during the search period of, of Vietnam, yeah, just before this Ken, wasn't yeah, your so. this wasn't even your standard Paris Island training. This was like uh, an emergency, See, like they had to yeah, get him out. Inten- yeah, this was a very intense, uh, very intense period of training for them but again it takes the time it takes i don't think they shortcut it if it was uh, 13 weeks it was 13 weeks right it takes the time it takes to do the curriculum to train somebody right. so i went through what was it eight ten weeks of uh, of basic but in in that 10 we in that 10 weeks i had aircraft instructional courses i had weapons uh, training you wind up with a whole bunch of uh, of stuff like that and in our case, because the, the, it's technical, and I think your education level is a bit higher to be in the in the trades in the Air Force as opposed to one, one would hope one in the Army that <laughs> they're they're uh, I think that if you have a high school you're you know you can be an infantryman but you can't be a, you can't be a technician unless you've got a CIGEP degree or something uh, something ba- or they'll they'll train you to that level to they'll educate you to be able to do that so are you, are you suggesting that the poor are often end up in the army and as as uh, shock troops no not necessarily no. it's uh, it's a question that if if the poor it's they join up they sign up nobody put a gun to their head to join especially in Canada it's all volunteer right so uh, I don't. I don't buy that thing. Uh, that that uh, aspect that we of, send our poor to that die. we send our poor to die. No, it's I a very mean, different thing it's here very, than it is exactly. in the U.S. So, like a lot of these movies that we're watching are right. all U.S. It's we're U.S. Mo- most, Good point, most of uh, most of the uh, the movies are U.S. centric. 
Yeah. It's all the U.S. philosophy, and everybody assumes that it's the same thing everywhere when it's not. Like in Canada, it's an all volunteer. And... No, it's an all volunteer force. And you can have, in one of the last classes I taught, I had uh, a person, uh, a gentleman who was uh, getting working on his master's in physics. And he was also training to be an instrument electrical technician on aircraft. So because this was his kind of like the reserves was a a side job. So you won't necessarily see that in the U.S. because their their fleet of aircraft is so vast. Right. I was looking at this today, actually, the numbers. Uh, 3.5 percent. 2014 is the last statistic I looked at. 3.5 percent of their GDP went to the military. Yeah. Um, a GDP of $16 trillion. So that works out to 560 five, oh, and then a the whole bunch of zeros. Zero at the end, exactly. Right? So it's a different ballgame from what, what Canadian uh, military, well, which we, gets made fun of, actually, for that. Well, a lot it, of people it does. go there to, to pay for their school in the U.S., whereas school mm. is you know, heavily yeah. subsidized here. And exactly. And the other thing, too, is that the, in the military, you can you go in, you can do your four years, five years, whatever your hitch is, and then you can go to school on the GI Bill so they help to pay for your, your studies, which is, is a bit of a compensation to, uh, for the people to join up. But again, they, they asked, well, one guy asked, he says, oh, how many Hercs do you guys have? Transport aircraft. And we had said 24. Well, that's a small squadron. They had a laugh. Uh, no, that's all in, in all of Canada. I mean, that's within. Oh, they thought two, that was a squad. That they did one squadron, and Makes it's sense. like. So for them, they'll have a guy who's trained on aero engines. Well, us, our aero engine tech will work on the whole engine. He'll be proficient on the whole engine type. Whereas them, this guy here is only doing sections of the engine. Okay, I'm so glad you said that. Because they have so many airplanes within a unit, they can have. 30 40 airplanes that so this guy here specializes in one segment and he'll just do all the airplanes that segment then someone else will do that segment because they they, they can't afford to have guys that go to universally exactly you'll have one specialized you'll have one guy the crew chief of the aircraft who basically in his mind he owns the aircraft and he lends it off to the pilot to fly he's responsible for it and then the other the other trades will come in and do their thing but he's the master of that airplane he's responsible for that okay. airplane so he's the project manager a bit yes and exactly. everyone else the, the specialists that come exactly. in do their they'll come and do job. their thing and so on so uh yeah okay so the base basically that's but in canada you don't have that because as an avionics technician i'd work i do my 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 shtick on the airplanes and then i was also cross-trained to be able to do the communication side so I could sign off in the logbook, do the initial, the basic checks, uh, the before flight or after flight checks for that or for the safety systems guy. So I, I'd have the cross train. So I'd be sitting in the cockpit doing the, my stuff and this then is, I'd do the other this guys. This is why I said I'm, I'm glad, glad you said that because this, my military uh, information, apart from movies, uh, I've always known military guys in one way or another. I've always had someone in my environment who was either a reservist or I remember I went to school with a, a black watch guy who was a, was a bit of a psycho, um, but um, 
he 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 gave me a lot of information about uh, about sure. the black. Yeah. But and I remember this one specific time. I never actually learned the name of this individual, but he was a Canadian soldier, and he used to tell stories about uh, a lot of the cross training with Americans because that happens a yeah. lot, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So field exercises, mm-hmm. and um, I remember even. I don't know if it was me or someone else, but literally we asked him, like, okay, so what's the deal? What's the American thing and what's the Canadian thing? He's like, well, apart from the fact that they are they have a, se- a seemingly unlimited amount of bullets, uh, ammo, and yeah. equipment at their disposal, and they're just like, they're like, it's like the John Woo movies where, like, they finish firing and it's empty and they just throw it away and pull out two new guns. He's like, <laughs> they have this emphasis on... The, the um, example he gave is that if in a convoy... If the truck breaks down an American convoy, the driver will get out and radio in an engineer to come and change the tire, right? He's like, yeah. this is a ridiculous example, yeah. he said, but mm-hmm. this illustrates the point. Well, exactly. And the whole convoy will, will wait for 25 minutes for the engineer to like run up and do everything. In the Canadian military, like in an indie film, you don't, you can't afford or don't have that guy. The driver better know how to change a fucking exactly. Time. Is that is that accurate? It, it, pretty well, yeah. That that about sums it up. Also, it was kind of funny. We uh, we had a we had a group of U.S. Marines in our hangar, waiting for their aircraft to come in, and so one of these guys comes up to us and uh, says, uh, "Boy, you guys play with dinky aircraft." Yeah, so he's making fun of our helicopters. You're used to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we called them the butane budgies. So I mean. The what? The mutate budgies? Butane budgies. Butane budgies. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So basically, he says, uh, so I said, well, what are you guys in for? Oh, we were here getting our Arctic survival uh, badge. uh, And it says, oh, yeah, where were you? Val... Valcartier, Valcartier, something like that. They're trying to say Valcartier. They're trying to say (laughs) Valcartier. So these guys spent uh, spent a month in the field at Valcartier to be Arctic trained. Where the weather isn't really that different from like uh, check please so uh, we, we kind of lo- ro- we, we all looked well, at each other and rolled our that's eyes that's where you get your revenge they right may as well be in vermont yeah <laughs> pretty much pretty much i mean they just they, they just had to go to bagotville uh bagotville gets really nasty i mean we had a, we had a, a period of time it was minus 77 on the tarmac with Jesus the bloody windshield Minus seventy-seven. I mean, I with the windshield, I, I didn't know I've that was possible on Earth. <laughs> I mean, it was just an exceptionally cold winter, and to launch the aircraft, we had to do the pilots did their walk around inside the hangar. We did all our checks inside the hangar, and you never saw people towing an aircraft out with it with the pilots sitting in the aircraft. They'd stay you there. Pop yeah. the wheels off. Popped the wheels off, the tow, the tow tractor buggered off back into the hangar, and the, the poor bastard that had to do the start with them, it's like, get them going, ground power, I mean, this in, is, out. This and is literally like you're on a timer because you can die. Well, it's not so much you can die as much as the aircraft is going to freeze and it's not going to take off, and you're going to have to tow it back in the hangar to And thaw. die doing yeah. it. <laughs> so, uh, oh no, with the Arctic gear and the parkas and the uh, the, the big scarves and everything, oh, yeah. it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, so, but you know, yeah. you, the this clock is, is sticking there. Yeah, but this, this is, is another the clock thing, is stinky, like, so you're not you're not messing around. You launch that aircraft, and once the uh, the rotors are turning, uh, you hightail it back into the into the hangar. So how long do you have at that temperature to get? I have it no up? clue. Like minutes, though, right? Oh yeah, it's it's Before literally. Min- I have shit no starts idea. Freezing I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. It was just okay. Let's get the aircraft started. The then. Some some other poor schmuck got the uh, the short end of the stick and had to uh, stay outside to uh, to do the start sequence. 
I just disconnected the wheels off the skids and turfed them in the back of the tractor and uh, I hightailed it so back. So suddenly you're glad you're not the pilot. <laughs> well, the pilots are okay because they're inside the uh, inside Yeah, is that the, comfy, comfy the in there? Well, it's drafty, but it's... Uh, they're not okay if, they're not, if, the, if like, the wings start like uh, icing up and then they have well, to deal that's with just the consequences it. Yeah, well, up that's, in the air. Exactly. So you, yeah. you just got the aircraft started and then you buggered off and uh, they took off and everything was fine. Mm-hmm. So. This is so cool. I, I want. I feel emasculated by by every every, every, every inch of the story, right? Just I just. I, whereas you got this sort of, uh, we talking about the the ground rules, the the the, the core ethics, and the mm-hmm. the military law enforcement stuff kind of handed to you. Um, a lot of that was missing from my life. That sort of male kind of rite of passage stuff. When we talked about this too in the past, how mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of the the I should say the confusion. And a lot of the crisis that I see in men today, including mm-hmm. myself, is that we went from a very regimented, very rite of passage society for yeah. men mm-hmm. where we kind of had it all figured out or our father certainly told mm-hmm. us that it was figured out and you better do it or you get one exactly. in the back of the head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we went from that to like, you can't tell me anything. And now we're just throwing everything out. And then now men just don't. Or, prove or themselves if you, ever if you touch me i'm going to call social services and yes. have you put away and microaggression uh, you've microaggressed me yeah <laughs> you've triggered i'm trigger warned i'm triggered right now no. right that, that's it's exactly what we've yeah. done the pendulum mm-hmm. has swung the other way and now when i hear stories of people doing something like going outside and unlatching a thing and bringing it back into a hangar i feel like I feel like I'm not a man. <laughs> like, I just, you know, without... Why? You know, I just feel like this is stuff that would have shaped me more. Yeah. And, and I feel like we threw out some of the stuff with the bad stuff that men used to do to women or exactly. to well, themselves. The, the, you went the, through basic training and, yeah. you, you know, you were a maggot for eight Eight, eight ten weeks, weeks whatever. We and, could and, all benefit from and, that. And then, you know, the, you were whipped into, into shape. And yeah. contrast that to today of, like... Uh, university students screaming at their at, you know, at the world because uh, they you didn't create a pay. safe place enough for us and we're being triggered by yeah things. exactly this is all those those black kids I went to school with you know like uh, Russell Peters makes jokes about listening to black kids tell them how badly they got their asses kicked at home by their parents yeah. But I, I, I lived that very same experience. You like, need to have your ass kicked. I think we talked we, about it in the last podcast. We all need to be maggots. We were talking about our bullying experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the same thing. No, and growing up, I got bullied. I was, I, when I was listening to it, I could, uh, I could relate to it. That oh, yeah, to, you got a bully story? I got yeah. a bully story. All right, was, do it. It's story time. Let's put it this way. In, Enough of in us. The sixth, in the sixth grade, I was five foot eleven. So that meant that there was the sixth grade teacher and the vice principal that were taller than me by maybe an inch. That you were was taller than I am today. So, yeah. or, but you're the, you were exactly <laughs> yeah, the same height. In sixth grade, you were my height. Yeah. So you can imagine. And I was as skinny as a toothpick because I just shot up and I hadn't widened. So I, uh, so all the kids would pick on me in, in school. And you're 6'4 you're now, right? I'm 6'4 okay. now. So I only, I only grew an extra four inches uh, from, uh, from the 12th grade. Uh, no, from, yeah, from grade 12, grade 6. No, grade 6, grade 7. I, I only grew an extra four inches. I'd already done all my growing. So, so how, how did uh, a 5'11 6th grader get bullied? Like, explain that. Well, I didn't have the, the muscle mass. I didn't have the strength. And I was all arms and legs. I kept tripping over myself. Even to this day, 
my dear wife laughs at me for tripping off the uh, off the sidewalk sort of thing right. or you know or off I'll trip off the road yeah I, I'm I some parts of me I'm still gangly hey, there were some guys trying to sort of so prove they, something well they, yeah any the short guys hey I'll make the tall guy fall you know they'll trip you and you fall flat on your face or something like ah look what I did right yeah, and timber if, ex- exactly yeah. and so at some point I just snapped uh-huh. and I just pounded the shit out of the little fucker <laughs> And by and, little and fucker, just, that means everybody in his class, right? Could have, so, it could have been anyone in his class. Oh, no, no. I took the chief bully, and I just wailed and wailed and wailed, and I hit. And I was, it was an uncoordinated attack. But the, like a Wookiee. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's an apt, uh, an, an apt analogy. Wookiee style. <laughs> an apt analogy. So I just pounded the shit out of him. So obviously, I get home, and I'm all proud. My mother's there all disheveled, and I'm all proud, and... She says, what did you do? You don't get into fights. You don't fight people. You're no better than that. And I'm all deflated now because I defended myself and I was all proud of being that. Yeah. In so, the movie version, when she says, like, we don't fight in this family, and you, just, you say something like, I just finished the fight. I didn't start it. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> no, I. Are you kidding? I was too stupid. I, I didn't but it was. Dare. It was a glorious. It was a glorious moment in your life, right? It was to me. It was a glorious moment that and uh, my guessing, balloon. My no, balloon was deflated. But I'm guessing no, no reoccurring, no, no bullying after that. Uh, there was, well, I changed schools a lot. Okay. So I got moved around a lot. You had to reiterate that. So I had to reiterate (laughs) that. So at that school, no, there was no more bullying after that. And then I came to Montreal and in high school, same deal. And some Uh short little tough. Yeah. 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 And then they turf you, they trip you into the lockers and all that stuff. And I do have a bad temper when I'm pushed too far. And Would this, you like another beer? <laughs> we don't want to be on your bed, so. No, no, no. Uh, you're doing Spare good. You're us. Doing good. Yeah, you're, you're good for now. Right. Uh, so I, this kid pushed me in the lockers, and that was the push too far. And I just turned around, and I beat the snot out of him. In, in, in a completely acceptable way, right? Because yeah, today, yeah. that's another problem, is today when that beatdown comes, now they're like... They're like ramming things into their face. Like they're, they're like they're causing like lasting bodily injuries. Well, somehow we knew how to beat each other back then. I in, don't know. I used this. Uh, I kind of made a dent in a locker door with his head. Okay. So I don't know if that's an appropriate beatdown. But nevertheless, <laughs> it feels like it. He got the, he got the message that, and his buddies got the message, and everybody yes. else got the message that uh, you know I'm not going to stand for it. I'm not going to start the fight. But to your point, I'll finish it. But this time I'm. I'll finish it. I'm a. <laughs> I'll finish it. <laughs> yeah, I finished it already. So, but this time I'm wiser. Ah. When I got home, I don't tell Mama. Of yeah. Course. <laughs> of course. I'm still all proud, and but my balloon ain't getting deflated this time. That's no right. way. Yeah, yeah. No, there's something to that. There's definitely yeah, something yeah. to that. Uh, and you were the oldest too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There was something about that with me as well, like. When you're the oldest, there's no, you don't have an older brother or an older sibling to tell you how shit goes down. Yeah. You just have like you're, your, you're, your parents. You're making it up as you go. And you're very honest with your parents. Yeah. And they don't really understand what's going on. No, no, no. So yeah, it's like, so. oh no, to my mom, that was totally scandalous that I 
did a beatdown on some kid, you know? Yeah. But, I remember being in the same situation with my mom, your wife. Yes. And, uh, you know, she was just like, yeah, those bullies, just, you know, just tell them, just turn the other cheek and walk away and be the bigger man and stuff. And yeah. You know, that, it's funny. That didn't work. You know? No, no, like, no, exactly. So, so I went in there and I just got kicked in the face. And like, it, that was, no, that was no, a no. horrible strategy. And yeah. then I went and like, I made my mark. And, That's and, it. And Again, that was the better way to do it. You, I had this yeah. funny thing where like my mother would be giving me the exact same stuff. You know, like, the, no, no, you don't fight and peace. And, you know, you don't yeah. start. You stay away from trouble. And then the rare times I'd see my, my grandmother, who, by the way, was a doctor her whole life. Right. Yeah. Uh, in the context of World War Two, like po- just post World War Two, etc. Hardened woman, hard life. And uh, she'd be all sweet making the soup or whatever. And then I go see her and, and she, I'd be like, yeah, you know, so anyone bothering you at school? Well, you know, there's one day like kick him in the face. <laughs> you just yeah. be like, you're you like show it like she'd yeah, say thing, like exactly. make an example. Exactly. Make an example. Mm-hmm. Show them how it's done. And my grandmother was 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 like an upstanding citizen, but she came from that school of like somebody steps into your yard. Yeah, you don't go looking for it. Nope, nope, definitely not. But someone's in your business. You need to establish that that they can't do that to you. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's about not being a victim. I right. think you know, like totally agree. Bullies yeah. tend to look for the easiest target. Yeah, you know that they, they look for the. They're clearly not going to go after a strong person, right? No. Well, they're they're looking for the, the 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 easiest one. So you don't even need to be like super strong. You just need to prove that there's someone else that is a better target than you. Yeah, they, they, right? they're looking for the easy payoff. Right. So, so if if you yeah. make them pay a little bit, yeah, then even that's like it's, it's too much. They'll they're, go they're shop. Lo- they'll go yeah. shopping elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very. It goes back to what we were talking about. It's very prison mechanics, right? Like, uh, you had to have yourself one of those fights with the snot running down your face when you're crying. Yeah. And you're just headbutting some kid and you go too, a little too far. Um, but it sent a message. Yeah, exactly. That, mm-hmm. Not that you're a psycho, but that there's, there's a limit to what you can be taken to. Yeah, okay. that, that you're just going to stand up for yourself. Yeah. You know, just, just to show that. Yeah. You, like, not you here. Know, not, 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 not me. That's not, it. Not like, here. You're going to need to pay a little bit. Yeah. You know, like you don't need to be the biggest badass in the school. You don't need nope. to be anything. Exactly. You just need to show like. You know, if you're going to fuck with me, you're going to pay a little bit. That, that's, you know, that's, enjoy your victory with one freaking eye or whatever. <laughs> that's, how my half-brother, you know? <laughs> that's how my half-brother survived high school because he, yeah. he was, he was a, a shit talker. Mm-hmm. He got me in trouble all the time. And when we'd get in trouble, I would be the one catching the, the hell from the, the parents all the time because they, there was just this, this brilliant assumption that they couldn't reach him because he didn't listen to anybody and he right. still doesn't. Although he's a social worker now. But anyway, uh, so he listens to people for a living. There you go, Karma. But uh, they would like, we would do bad things. And then I would catch flack for him because they figured I was the one that could still be saved. And I might be able to reach him. But of course, that's not how it works. <laughs> but he was a skinny shit starter. So he was not, he was a, he was a pencil thin uh, uh, little joker, little jestery guy, a little, mm. little shit fuck. Like, he loved to fuck with me. So I can only imagine what he perpetrated in others. But he had this line whenever it got to someone wanting to like rough him up and he'd be like, you better finish. What? You better finish me. Yeah. He'd heard it in a rap song. <laughs> right? He's like, you better kill me. Because if I'm still alive, I'm going to come after you. I'm going to come after your goldfish. I'm going to come after you. <laughs> everything you love and like he, he would deliver the speech every time and it 
got him through some bone room. chilling. Yeah, he, he just knew how to do that really well. Yeah, <laughs> like you better finish me, right? You don't want to hear that from a guy. You don't care how big. Oh or no, tall. no, it doesn't matter because it it is uh, if the person looks like he means business yeah. and he's going to take it to the end. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. matter. My last breath, I'm going to be trying to gouge your eyes I'll out. Be waiting in the bushes. <laughs> yeah. For you outside if your it house. takes 20 years. <laughs> yeah. If it takes 20 years, I'll finish it. Expect me. Right. When uh, you least expect it. So we got to have, okay, we we got to have, uh, give us a crazy mili- like army story. Come on. We, well, need, we need to hear so, one. Not, not so much crazy as one of the, the funnier or the funnier ones. That, well, it depends, we'll on for the, funny. It depends on the individual's take on it. We'd fly, we, we did some flying for the air cadets. You know, we'd take them for tours. You'd bring them on the base. They'd go for lunch. And yes. We'd, My half-brother uh, was an air cadet, by okay. the way. Okay. Yeah. So they'd just fly them around around Montreal, show them the, the sights. And it's, it's quite fun for a little kid, you know. But you know what cadet. they would do. And what, sorry to interrupt you. But just, you know what they would do when they'd get back. Because I remember the exact moment that my half-brother did this thing. Okay. What he got it? to go. He told all the girls in school that he went along with you guys to evac people from like a volcano or something <laughs> and and he like he it's like all about getting the girls he wrapped the yeah, girls yeah. i had nothing i couldn't i could i could say nothing to match that right <laughs> oh no you can't no you can't no sorry that you really can't <laughs> that, that's that. brilliant no, right exa- oh absolutely and he came okay. with a uniform with the wrong uh, the wrong insignias <laughs> and everything so we're, so, we're okay. flying these we're flying the cadets and yeah. all this stuff and this one poor kid uh, decides to toss his cookies now we give them all like a barf bag. Yeah, he's airsick, and so we give him a barf bag. But it's the kid in the front seat, and he misses part of the barf bag, and it goes on the instrument panel on the floor. Oh, wow. I mean, so we have a we have a rule is that you produce it, you clean it. <laughs> However, that should with, be a rule everywhere with with the little kids <laughs> and the cadets that didn't wash. So we okay. wound up having to clean the aircraft. Or and it wasn't my crew that was that, that had to, to clean it. It was the crew handling the air cadets. However, at the end of the day, I'm tasked by my by my duty sergeant to go around and do all the avionics checks, the the, the the shutdown checks for the day on the aircraft. So I start with one. I get inside, I turn on the power, and start doing my shtick. First helicopter, second one, third one. I get in. Holy crap! The smell of puke is horrendous they had closed the doors they hadn't even opened the doors to ventilate so i was like oh man i gotta get out of here so get out of the chopper take a couple of deep breaths jump back in (laughs) holding my breath flicking switches one of the fastest uh after flight checks i've ever done in my life check out stuff up then i tell the guys don't go in there i mean this is the one the kid puked in oh crap okay so we said we opened up all the doors and everything else and so all right. This this kid's crippled the Canadian military. <laughs> he's, he's, crippled, he's crippled this aircraft. Ten percent like of ten percent of the forces are crippled now. <laughs> so you wind up okay. So now we, we fast forward to the next day, and so the the this is like six o'clock in the morning. We arrive at the hangar and we open up shop and everything else, and we're all a bit hungover from the party at the mess the night uh, the night before, and so I go out and. Sergeant lays out the logbooks and says, okay, Mark, do the before flight checks and get ready, get the aircraft ready. Tell me which ones we're going to prioritize for the tow. So I said, okay. So I go out and I start doing my checks and I get into the first aircraft, do my checks, get into the second one, 
do my checks, get into the third one. Oh my God, it's the puke bird. <laughs> Somebody during, during, the, the, during the night had closed all the doors again. Son of a bitch. We had told them, we had left a sign, leave the doors open. No, someone wanted to do good to, to help us out and they just closed the thought we had left the doors open. So it's like, oh, now I'm hungover. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Oh, that's the Barf. last thing you want to smell. So it's like, hungover? Oh. So I'm there. Okay, fine. Aircraft 203, we're deep breath. I do all the other aircraft first, let the, left the doors open and said, okay, maybe it'll air out enough. So I get last aircraft. The so, puke bird. So by this time, I've, I've already pointed out to the guys to start pulling out the other aircraft. And I said, we'll pull this one out last and leave it outside to aerate. So couple of the aircraft go down with mechanicals so they're not uh, they're not serviceable for flying we have to so we tow them back in and so someone comes out and says we got to take 203 i said we'll put it we'll save it as the last aircraft so i said okay then that's fine so i go in i start signing off the log books and all that and i tell the sergeant i said uh, 203 i said don't give it to anybody for uh, for at least a couple of hours we've got it outside that was the one the kid ralphed in and so just yeah no problem so at the at, at that point some um, some new second lieutenant fresh out of uh, pilot school i want my aircraft and i want it now <laughs> sergeant looks at him and says you do sir well let me see what we have <laughs> he says mark give the second lieutenant aircraft 203 Yes, sir. <laughs> Come with me, sir. You so, know, this is what happens at every restaurant, right? So, so he, when a dickhead comes in. So he, we, we, I walk out with him. So I'm, I'm, I'm allocated to do the start with this guy. So I grab the fire extinguisher and I walk out. And he says, what the, hell what the fuck are the doors doing all open, sir? We left them open to ventilate, to, to aerate, sir. Not giving more detail than that. Right. So well played. Exactly. So then... He gets into the aircraft. Jesus Christ, what the <laughs> fuck is this? It still puke in here and what this? And he's bitching. I said, and I'm just, I'm standing outside, outside and I'm with my fire extinguisher and I'm just trying not to break down laughing here. And he says, you fucker, you knew. I said, maybe. You know, just the look was like, maybe. So he takes off into the... Um, into the servicing shack to uh, to see the sergeant. That aircraft smells like puke. I want a new airplane. And there's there's another aircraft standing next to it. I'll take that one. No, you can't take that one, sir. You're telling me I can't take an aircraft. I'm an officer. You can't. Yes, I understand, sir. However, that one is for a higher ranking officer. At this point, the deputy squadron commander comes in. Hey guys, how's it going? Aircraft 212 for you, sir. So, <laughs> thanks, this guys. This is exactly a restaurant scenario, isn't so, it? Yeah, so Buddy is sure. looking at the major and he's like, oh, sir, you're taking that aircraft. He says, yeah, what's wrong? Well, um, you know the aircraft that the kid puked in? And the major's killing himself laughing. So uh, he looks at us, doesn't bat an eyelid. He knows oh, his yeah. guys, right? He knows uh, he knows us, and he says, "If you, we gave it to him, and, and he knows his, <laughs> he, he knows, knows what new, the deal he is. knows uh, second lieutenant new guy here is." Uh, <laughs> so he just kind of looks at us oh, and says, "Okay, 
well, sorry, have a nice flight. And he just walks <laughs> out to his aircraft. So I trot behind him to do his start and leaving the, uh, the second lieutenant to fume. So by the time I get back in, he's trying to get one of these. He says, you got other two more aircraft in the, in the hangar. So sorry, they're mechanical. We don't know what the problem is. So you're going to have to wait till we either fix it or... You take the puke mobile. Take the puke mobile. <laughs> I've got to do my hours. And one of the air, one of the aircraft was uh, a rotor was uh, was pooched, and the other aircraft was an engine change. So there was no way those aircraft were going anywhere. That 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 was going to be left for the. Uh, That's a big for, job. Yeah, those are big jobs. So I said no. I said those aircraft aren't going. So sorry, sir. It's. Puke or nothing. <laughs> Here's a gas mask and yeah. happy it's flying. It's puke or nothing. <laughs> so basically, uh, he had to. He took the aircraft. He had to take the table because, next to the toilet. Yeah, because he had to do his. <laughs> he had to do his hours. The guys have to do their hours, and being right. reserve pilots, they take it when they're because they have day jobs. So he had to take. Could have happened to a nicer. Oh guy. yeah, it was. But <laughs> what, what was really interesting was the next weekend. The gentleman was way more polite uh-huh. with us oh, after imagine. the fact. And that's all. We're not asking you to kiss our feet or anything. It's just treat us like human beings just because we're NCOs. Can, we, can we take a second to, uh, to thank this little air cadet that puked all over that console that day? <laughs> I would have given him a big kiss. Because he, he initially <laughs> inconvenienced everybody. But when you really, really t- take the time to think about it, he made the military just a little bit better that yeah. day. <laughs> it feels like there should be a puke puke bird in every fleet. Yeah, exactly. There possibly is. I mean, they don't. Every time they take people up, eh, they always give them their paper bag. So. Keep those paper bags in reserve just in case. Yeah. Or yeah. when they do when they do fam flights, which is a familiarization flights for for people, and sometimes you'll have the you'll have someone. You'll have a, a, some, a trained technician or someone who will go if they're short to, to, to do the weight and balance on the aircraft or whatever. And one of the other gags is that one of the guys will go to the mess hall and get some beef macaroni or something and put it in the barf bag. And so as they're flying with these people sitting in, these new, new people that have never flown before, all of a sudden he'll start... Ugh. Uh, wretch grab his bag and barf, beefaroni on <laughs> barf barf make the retching sounds close the barf bag and maybe 15 <laughs> 20 minutes later hey you know i'm really hungry and he'll grab his barf oh, bag no. and a fork and start <laughs> eating out of it you've never seen people in the aircraft diving for their own paper bags oh this is nothing you could have been with us five six months ago oh you talk about puke we ran into a hailstorm over the sea of japan right Everybody's stretching their guts out. The pilot shot his legs all over the windshield, and I barf on the radio. Stopped it out completely. And it wasn't that lightweight stuff either. It was that chunky industrial weight too. When did you get out of the military? At what point? I got out in the in '95. The um, the military was well under the Christian uh, rule. Yes. They were changing the way the reserves were looking. And my civilian career was uh, taking off, for lack of a better word. And I just didn't like where the government was taking the, uh, taking the military to. Okay. The reserves, too, it was more like, well, we don't want... What were, what were they doing to it? Well, basically, they, were, they, were, they eliminated... Well, we had a training squadron, and we could teach the trades to the, 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 to the kids coming off the street. 
what they wanted to do was send the kids. They would have to take like a year of their own time, a year off. They'd be paid and all this stuff. But go to Edouard Montpetit or to CFB Borden and be trained as technicians like the Reg Force. Okay. Whereas the reserves was always like Tuesday nights, Friday nights, Saturdays and Sundays and so on and so forth. It was where weekend warriors. And it was taking away a lot of it. And what they wanted to do was because they wanted to shrink the military, but they didn't want to lose the, uh, the training. So what they do was they entice the, the reg force people to retire. And then join the reserves. Oh, I seem to recall this. And so yeah, what yeah. they do is they'd open up slots in the reserve. So we had this influx of what the what we called ourselves as real reservists, of old retired mucklucks that were being brought in, and they all had their, their so they were double dippers, um. and so it just changed the atmosphere of the the unit and what we're doing and everything else. And I just found that it wasn't for me. It just didn't float my boat anymore. And again, my civilian career was taking off. There were opportunities uh, to grow on that front. So I said goodbye after 12 years. Okay. So was, it a dif- was it a difficult decision or was the timing right? The timing was right, but it was still hard. Yeah, of course. Because I had a This was your life. Of, exactly. Not, yes. And it was all, I'd made a lot of friends. That's and the thing. People eh? the that, people that Exactly. And they're people that I am still friends with to this day. There's one... There's, I actually, what's interesting is the military, the Air Force community is very small. Aviation in Canada, period, is very small. And one of the uh, one of the uh, women who was in my basic training and technical course works with me now. Oh, okay. so and I'm I'm in constant email contact with another close friend of mine who was through basic training with me, who worked as an engineer with my company and who now works for Bombardier as a design engineer. And so we're it's a small we, world. It's a small world. So we still keep uh, we that's still great. keep in touch. So. That's, that's really awesome. I mean, yeah. that, that's the other thing, you know, to go back to that whole thing of rites of passage is that that's the other byproduct of being tested in life, yeah. being made a maggot for a little while, you know, and having to, you yeah. know, your shit, your, your shit stinks too kind yeah, of yeah everybody right? oh yeah that's um, uh, is that you make these you forge these friendships for life or yeah or or perhaps even animosity for life depending on well, who there, you yeah there's to. some people yeah there's some people whose guts you will hate for yeah. the the rest of your life and on an some, atomic level oh on every level right you're like you're we're like not it's picky. not we're not picky here we'll take it on all, <laughs> we'll take it on all levels no there's but there it's the exception to the rule because what is it? The uh, we can't we our our brains te- seem to attenuate the uh, the bad stuff, so you kind of forget the bad stuff. Yeah, and so a lot Thank of the romanticize uh, exactly. So I, even today, I even uh, telling you some of the these stories. There's stuff that was really unpleasant. We went through a lot of uh, a lot of nasty shit, and right. yet it's it's all roses as far as I'm uh, as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, and you kind of, you want to forget the, the day that was like 28 degrees and you're in a nuclear biochemical warfare suit and you're trying to change a generator on an aircraft uh, with these, the big gloves and all this stuff. Uh, so it's basically... We have to hear that story now. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it, 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 you just kind of gloss over it and you just kind of forget that crap or yeah. being gassed, going through the gas chamber and being gassed. What? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's part of your training, eh? You go, you go through tear gas training. So uh, Okay. 
I had the riot control course. So basically you go through the, uh, the gas, everyone goes through gas chamber with the gas mask and all this stuff. And part of the routine is you have to take your gas mask off and you got to breathe this shit. So you'll, under- I think I remember this from uh, police academy. <laughs> police academy. <laughs> so, e- okay. Yeah. But- so, so stuff like that, you kind of, you gloss over today saying, oh yeah, you came out of the gas hut and you're puking your guts out and, Ralph in the gas mask, and you're just because you nobody it. knows what it's like to be pepper sprayed Either. or maced. Exactly. Or so you you basically tear gassed yeah. or and they make you they want you there. Take the gas mask off, and you know that's take a breath, and uh, you start choking. Put it back on, blow the gas out, so that you know that if some scumbag was to pull your gas mask off in there, that you can recuperate. Put it back on, get the gas out, and you can still function. Right. So you until you've experienced it. So, but things like that you kind of gloss over. And basically, the, the biochemical warfare suit, well, stationed in Germany, the Russians had biochemical warfare. Right. So we yeah. had to train to operate in a biochemical and environment. You need to understand how serious that situation is in the same way as like every person should be punched in the face one time. Well, exactly. And some, it, some many times. <laughs> some many times. Some continually punched it's, over, it, it's, over and it's over. It's when the alarm would go off on the base in Germany. You'd rush to the unit, jump in your trucks, deploy into your area, your deployment area, and you're standing, you're sitting around now and you're wondering what the hell's going on. And then the sergeant major drives by and then he, he comes over and says, Okay, uh, Delisle, uh, here's four magazines and uh, here's a couple of hand grenades. God bless. And I'm there. Oh, fuck. This, and I'm looking at the mag and the, these are live rounds. They're not blanks here. And they're, oh, shit. I said, this, this is real. This is for real. And it's like, okay. So this is no longer just playing around at fixing airplanes here. I've got a rifle. No, exactly. I've got a rifle and I've got live rounds. And it's like, fuck me. So uh, then you're sitting around and you're asking the other guy, what's, did you hear something? That Was there something that, and everyone's looking at, I don't, I don't know. know. What I, don't is, know. What, I don't know. And then all of a sudden he comes back, okay, guys, you can give me the shit back. Just a drill. Oh, thank God. <sighs> yeah, exactly. So by this time, I've already wet my pants here. So it's like... Uh, I was playing a war game with a f- couple of friends a few weeks ago. And the mm-hmm. character, it was a role-playing game. Okay. Yes. I, I role-play at 37. Um, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Which one? Uh, it was um, a, a version of a game called The Call of Cthulhu. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, and this one uh, again is run by a friend of our of mine that uh, his name's Sam, huge war enthusiast. You two could probably have conversations. He loves. He's read all the novels. He he loves that stuff, and it was set in the um, Bikini Islands during the nuclear tests yeah. in the fifties, mm-hmm. and uh, my character was um, uh, the, the the chief of the boat. The, the basically the guy mm-hmm. that is. Uh, uh, charged with security of the men and uh, of course the fallout happens and some of the men start acting weird and my character decides in very 50s american style to run and like tackle them to the floor and get him back in and he's saying that there's fallout going on yeah. this it's raining mm-hmm. ashes and stuff okay so i'm like okay i go get the rat suit and then we got into this like 45 minute argument whether they had gas masks or did not have gas masks in the rad suits back then. And I'm like, of course they had ra- ma- yeah. gas masks. 
And he's like, no, I don't think so. I'm like, of course they did. They had them in World War One. Why would they yeah. not have them as part of the hazmat suit? Exactly. And then when you when you're wearing the uh, the hood, the hood just comes over the gas mask and right. seals all the side of the because. So you're confirming there would have been a mask. Yes, yes, there would have been a mask, and because you, it's not just uh, radiation. You've got the chemicals and the biological. You've got the nasty buggies and your chemicals. You've got blister agents, non-persistent or persistent. And there's all there's a there's a gamut anyway, a mile long of of nasty uh-huh. shit that can do nasty harm to your body. And so yeah, you'd wear you'd wear these. What these you're things. saying is I'm right. Yes, you are, Sam. <laughs> take, take that in Sam. your face, Sam. In, in your face. Your face. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so, for yeah. Uh, so yeah, that. no, no, it. Uh, so you'd have to work with wearing the whole suit, the whole... Clearly, uh, you can't have anything exposed at this point. No, exactly. No. So there's not an inch of skin exposed. It's 30 degrees outside, and you're sweating bullets. Oh, joy. <laughs> yeah, what Jesus, fun. that's going to be weird. Yeah, it, it is. It is. So it's very challenging. But Was there... things like that, you that's why it comes back to my original statement, is you kind of forget about that once you leave... All that nastiness kind of goes away. And thank God. You romanticize and say, I just remember the good times. All my good friends, the the fun things, the puke aircraft, that was funny. Uh, Okay, so I almost tossed my cookies. Uh, Big whoop. You know, I didn't. uh, No harm, no foul. So you uh, you walk away, but you don't you don't think of the more serious stuff. Like the fact that the 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 threat of war was very real. Yes. Right. Like this is something that I don't think anybody from our generation can i mean possibly mine like little bit but not even unless you, not on that scale not on, not the, on, not not on, on like scale. helping your dad build a bunker right exactly or something to that effect yeah no it, it's it's well the dynamics today are completely different so yeah is the threat is the threat different that i'm not sure I, well i guess it's got to fuck you up right because as, as a soldier you're used to mechanics of okay weapons versus weapons but then when you get into the nuclear stuff it's sort of all. Oh, yeah. it's, it's on another dimension. Yeah, exactly. All bets the, are ra- off. the radiation and all that stuff. You can't so, fight that. No, exactly. No, it's get out of dodge. The suits, the suits are basically there to get allow you to get away. I can't see us fighting in there. Maybe that was part of the the strategy. I don't know. That's beyond my pay grade. Right. But for I me, love it was basically that. That just was enough cinematic. Yeah, <laughs> it's just an, enough to survive the the initial whatever. And get out of dodge so that you can regroup and then face the bad guys somewhere else downrange. I don't know. I just know that having to try and change a generator on a helicopter wearing that stuff is a royal pain in the ass. I can't oh. imagine. But, and wearing glasses besides that, the sweat's running down. It's just, mind you, if you want to lose weight, <laughs> best thing going, <laughs> you'll sweat the stucker off. That and illness, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, um, uh, very quickly, I remember um, watching this show. Uh, have you seen? Do you watch military shows? Yeah. Like, um, have you seen um, um, Generation Kill? Yes. On HBO. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, that really, I'm not a big military nut, but like that one, really, there was something special about it. It was. It was well done. It was well done, and uh, you had uh, furnished me the book, and I'd, uh, oh, I. Was that? That was a very good read. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Oh, good. It, the read was good, and. Uh, I found that the, sh- the the movie itself or the miniseries was uh, was well done. It was yeah. pretty close, right? Uh, I would assume, yeah. Well, one one thing that really struck me about it, I think uh, the, the the TV show had actually some of the guys that were there playing themselves. Uh, cu- a couple of the the individuals, like, and I uh, know that they had one of them as a um, 
as an expert uh, on set to uh, to guide them through it. Well, uh, well, a bit like what uh, Lee Ermey did for Kubrick in the Full Metal Jacket and with uh, Coppola in Apocalypse Now. Right. So same thing. They at least they had some real people. These were there. purists too. These yeah. were guys that really wanted to know, like down to the type of socks that the exactly. soldiers wanted and, to yeah, wear. Exactly. So these guys were. They really made sure that they towed the line and were right on on the mark. So yeah. Cool. That was a great series. No, I really liked it. Mm-hmm. I, I I felt real when I when there were these like scenes of them um, complaining just about it's the little things, right? Like the what is it called? The rat fuck. The rations yeah the field rats yeah uh they, they complaining about that or pooping into over the like using those like crates to poop or the guy spooning coffee from the can while he's driving because he's just got to drive consistently yeah mm-hmm. the he guy's his caffeine fix yeah the guy ordering extra armor for his jeep off of ebay because the military didn't provide it you know yeah. and this these just felt like real gi stories yeah yeah mm-hmm. the overarching message of of the that series seemed to be Like, what kind of people are we creating? The fuck are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. Like, there are some of those guys who are just like, fuck yeah! yeah. You know, oh, yeah, Captain America. Mm-hmm. That yeah, character. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there mm-hmm. are a bunch of those guys. Like, especially the young guys who are just living, yeah. in, living in a movie. There was that, the, the redneck kid in the back who was just, like, living out his uh, Call of Duty fantasy. I feel like that was the that was the real message from that whole thing. I mean, it was really well made, probably very true to reality but i think just the fact it was called generation kill yeah i think that was the message that they were going for was like clearly you know what are we leaving for well there was for the a, kids there like was what kind a, of people are we creating sorry rich there was an interview about this uh this uh, former serviceman who went over to fight with the kurds against isis and all that and they 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 one of the report the reporter asked him he says you've got volunteers who are non-military He says, yeah, they should have stayed home. He says, basically, it's people that have played too much Call of Duty and yeah. think that they're really good at Call of Duty and that they're going to come and help these guys out in real life. Where We're they're back liabil- to those fake military Exactly. Guys. They become a liability. And they're in a situation where they're going to get their asses handed to them. So, I mean, yeah, and, and what happens, too, is that they'll probably ha- hand the asses of two or three other people around them. If you go out and get yourself killed, fine by me, if you're that stupid. But taking out two or three other people that maybe have an idea of what they're doing, I mean, that's just... Well, this goes, and you have a responsibility yeah. to, to yeah. safeguard the, the people who are around you. Right? Exactly. That's well, the, it's, part the of the team, it's part of the whole team effort, but these people don't... They're well, used to fragging uh, buddies uh, on their, on their sofa here. Not the same shows here. These are, yeah. the, these are the things that led to uh, these unofficial traditions in the military, like officer fragging, right? Which um, I it's don't... not so much a tradition as it was an end result from the Vietnam War, where the uh, the guys were just so doped up, and the officers were saying, "You're going to go out there. I ain't going there and there and get shot. You go out there and get shot." And then when the officer forced them to go out and get shot, well, I'll fix your clock and things like step that. on a grenade or something. Yeah, or just throw a grenade at him or whatever. They... Right. But so it was also it... to sometimes take out, um, I, from what I understand, uh, incompetent officers right that were costing lives they were throwing people's lives away uh, possibly yeah that's that or just were people they didn't like how soon can you land i can't tell you can tell me i'm a doctor no i mean i'm just not sure or can't you take a guess well not for another two hours you can't take a guess for another two hours it's flying you know okay let me put you like the really simple question here is flying safe 
Yes. Commercially. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. How is that possible? <laughs> I want to You're understand. You're in a chair in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like, like, I don't think that we take the time to realize how insane that is. You know, I mean, well, I know Louis C.K. has made fun of that, but how, yeah. how, how have we become so blasé about this? Well, because it's accessible to everybody, and the mystique of flying has, to a certain degree, disappeared. It because be it becomes, it, it, Yeah, exactly, because it's, it's available to everyone. It's weird. It, it, it's it's open. Bus. Exactly. Now, it, it's, it was before the, when you had horse-drawn carriages, seeing a Model T was like, hoo-ha. Today, everyone jumps in their car and drives around. Nobody right. bats an eyelid. Now we're talking about the suborbitals, right, that the yeah. Virgin is trying to develop. Exactly. So now your you're, old man is always taking it to the next level and the next level. So we, we, we see uh, flying as commonplace. But to answer your question, is it safe? Absolutely. The aircraft are designed with triple redundancy systems. The, uh, the oversight that you have between, in Canada, you have Transport Canada. We have to align ourselves to Transport Canada's rules. The FAA's rules, depending on if it's an American-made aircraft or not. There's so many other uh, parameters that we have to watch. There's the manufacturers that would be Boeing, Airbus, uh, Embraer, that you got. You have to follow what their their guidance. Embraer, you said. Embraer. Embraer. Okay, it sounded like my airline. Like if I had an airline, it would be called <laughs> Embraer. Embraer. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying there's there are there are many 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 checkpoints. There's many checkpoints. You've got qualified people, and the qualified people are over overseen by more qualified people. Then you have supervisors that look at them. You have quality departments that oversee everything. You okay. have audits done. So it's it's a very it's a very regulated industry. Right. So it doesn't mean that screw-ups can happen because, you, you, because you're dealing with the human factors element however if you look at the uh, incident rates the accident rates in aviation there's not that many in proportion the to the amount to of flights going it's okay. practically uh, as superman says it's yeah. still the phase you know, so it's, okay it's, it's i've got a brain teaser for you i don't know if this will maybe you're you've got the answer for this and it's only twisting the brains of someone like me um so I had a huge conversation for like about a two weeks with students, with other people about this idea of the, um, uh, the next wave. We, 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 we talked about this with Julian when we asked him, uh, Julian Smith, when he, we were like, okay, Julian, what's the next big thing in six months? Mm -hmm. And he said, self-driving cars. That's the big thing, right? right. So we, then mm -hmm. we, that led me to conversations about automated driving systems about autopilots about like mm -hmm. i brought this conversation yeah. further and further and further and then i had one particular conversation about the uh german wings incident uh if you'll recall the uh co-pilot i believe it was yeah lost mm -hmm. his mind yeah and, and locked himself in the cabin and, and basically took it into a do mm -hmm. nosedive and killed everyone yes right mm -hmm. now the argument was how much of that because some pe people say, how much of that process of flying an airplane commercially is automated? How much isn't? Uh, what is the control finally in the hands of the pilot? Can he be overridden by 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 someone else in in a case like that? Is it even possible? Would you even want to? The infrastructure of the aircraft right now 
no i don't see uh, i don't see someone taking control you know like they're talking about my remote controls someone taking over to my knowledge no that's not uh, that's not feasible or not, I, not, I did, not the not the way the infrastructure of the aircraft uh but apparently the, the 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 pilot is mostly involved in takeoff and landing yeah and in crew well in cruise what happens is they set the autopilot and then they have the flight management because uh, what you have to also think is when you're flying it's highway up there eh? It, there's yeah. highways yeah there there's tracks we we call them tracks and so you take the tracks and the aircraft follows the track so what happens is you've got the flight management system databases that have the tracks all programmed and the plane just chugs along and follows the track there's an actual it. highway um like yeah, plan there's, for a, there's a designation in the sky that and if you look at the maps i have charts uh i have charts uh that at home that have the the copy you know it Fire shows the the, fi- the 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 flying routes of the aircraft okay. so yeah there's tracks in the aircraft and uh well, I mean, the Thank argument, you, what, the argument uh, what the argument was about, and it wasn't really an argument, more like a, because I was having this conversation with a guy who developed software. Mm-hmm. And we were discussing how some of the big problems with this uh, automated driving and auto driving. Mm-hmm. On one end, yes, it could prevent disasters, right? Yeah. It, could, it could circumvent or take over when a human's about to do something crazy. The yeah. analogy was in the German wings. Mm-hmm. Um, Scenario: Crazy pilot runs in, tries to gun it for the, you know, like nosedive it, but then the alarm goes off and the automated system takes over and the autopilot blocks this person from doing something crazy. Whereas the other person was saying, well, no, that would be a terrible idea to give that uh, an automated system that kind of control, because that could then also take away um, the. Uh, I mean, the, the pilot should still be in charge, according to him. I agree. I agree because I don't think the artificial intelligence are developed are that developed at this stage to be able to allow the aircraft to be cognizant of what's happening. No, we the 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 way the autopilots are set up, the plane you you say okay, you're going to fly on this course. Your database says here's the tracks you're going to use. You're going to use point X to point Y to point Z to point W. Then you're going to point AB and then we'll prepare to land. Well, okay, the aircraft can do that. However, you've got to watch it because there's the, the wind could affect it. If there's heavy winds or something, the aircraft starts drifting to compensate, so on and so forth. You can't take the human out of the... You can't take the human... At out this of, point. At this stage, we, I, don't, I don't see aviation as being able to take the human out of it. It has made the, uh, the pilot's life a lot easier, but it has also made his life a lot harder okay. because the technology that they have, all the systems they have to monitor and watch, the oversight... It's six of one, half a dozen of the other. So it's not an easy. Uh, it's a lot of brain. Brain. It's happened recently too that uh, some of these automated cars, mm-hmm. like the cars with uh, um, yeah, the automated Google, the systems, Google, the Google car or something like that. Some of some of those, and also just some that have you know some kind of automated systems have been hacked recently. Correct. I think uh, Jason, you you may have sent me in. A link about yeah, I've that, done a fair right? bit of research on this topic. So there was there was some guy on the highway who had his car hacked, and the car stopped in the middle of the freeway. Well, this was actually and he done was on, powerless to do anything. It about was done it. on purpose, right? No, no, of course. 
these two guys, I forget their names now, but they did this in 2013 or 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there they achieved it by actually, they had to sit in the back. And the computers had to still be tethered to the car. But they recently replicated that same hack, but from a living room. Like remotely. Yeah. And this yeah. is on a car that's in already out there. And mm-hmm. and displayed a picture of them on the dashboard, just right. like they went in through. You. They didn't even hack the autopilot; they hacked a media, the media center mm-hmm. that all cars have now, which is right. that screen with the backup. Yeah, cam- yeah, I, can, I, I, I have one of those. System. Yes, I have it. I have the Everyone, toys. Everyone's got that. I know. It always toys. goes through a non-essential system. That's what they do. They went hack. in through the yeah. auto, the uh, <laughs> the me, the the media connect. Mm-hmm. Uh, feature where sure. I guess you would uh, link your phone to play music off your sure. phone, whatever. Yeah. And then they did what, which is sounded so creepy. Uh, in a hacker language, they moved laterally from there, and and essentially started to first mess with the wipers. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then they move on to the air conditioning. Basically, they took complete control away from this guy and installed him on the highway mm-hmm. to prove as to prove their point. So obviously this. Well, was back it, to wasn't it? It comes back to what was it? The, the the story going, and I don't know how true that is. That before the Iraq War, the Americans were able to hack into the Iraqi uh, infrastructure. I don't uh, know the story. The, the infrastructure through the through, through printers or something like that. They had printers really? with yeah. There was something. You'd have to Google it. I'd read that somewhere. Now I don't know how true that is. However. From there, they were able to get into the Iraqi infrastructure and hack their way through, or maybe it was the Iranians, something like that. You'd ha- we'd have to Google it. To, what, what was the but, purpose of this hack? Uh, to stop them from doing something nasty. I forget. I, there was some something okay. with it, with the. I think it was either the Kuwaiti War or the Iraqi War, one of the two. So all of this just reinforces your standpoint that you should not remove the. The human, uh, human oversight, yes, exactly. You know? Like no. it should be an automated system yeah. that is has a ah, human oversight. Sorry. It's okay. Yeah. I suppose it was definitely the chair. Yeah. <laughs> we did uh, not break you. Mark in half. <laughs> it was the chair. Thank you for confirming that I I'm not broken. <laughs> but it should be it should be human oversight over. Yeah. Yes, the, totally, the, totally you know, agree. We're living proof of that, right? I mean, this yeah. is what you do. Yeah, this is what right. I do every day. Is would you like to briefly overview that? Well, what is it you do exactly? I am I have I am in the mysterious arts of the minimum equipment list. Okay. Which is basically a big a very thick book, 3000 pages in the case of an A320 that defines what how you can operate the aircraft with on with broken systems. If you've got a flight management computer that's inoperative, you can dispatch with one inoperative because you got two more, provided that other backup systems are working. So it tells the uh, the operators, the mechanics, the pilots that, okay, your system is inoperative. There's special tests that you have to do before each flight or so on and so forth. So the manuals that I manage uh, provide the guidance to the pilots, the maintenance people, flight dispatch to say if this system is an operative, you have to add more fuel because to start the engines, you're going to be sucking in more fuel. So not to go into your contingency, add a few hundred kilos or so on okay. so to compensate. So, so in that in that uh, Independence Day scenario, when, when the, the country's in crisis, you're one of those guys, those quote unquote eggheads that they have in the, in the, in the war room pouring over the manuals <laughs> figuring out how things work and because you know the okay you have no, to know I'm going food. to be the guy in his uh, in his uh, bunker at home bending over and kissing his ass goodbye <laughs> <laughs> but 
if to, to just to put this in like layman's terms, you get to call whether a plane takes off or not, right? In certain circumstances, yes. Okay. Yeah, I have the they'll they'll defer to me if at some points if they require an extension to a deviation, or well they'll ask a question and say, well we have this system in operative and this one, the guidance is a bit fuzzy, and then I can say yes or no. This one's not taking off. This or... is not taking off. We'll park it against the blast fence, and we've just made two hundred plus passengers really unhappy. Okay. So, so uh, you're the you're the human. I'm the human. Like, I'm, I'm part of. I am part. I am just making sure that people. Are, I wouldn't even say last line of defense. I'm one of the lines of defense. One of the lines. One of the lines of defense because it's a it's Triple a big uh, yeah it's it's a big team that works. You've got people from the maintenance control center. You have the flight dispatchers. Mm-hmm. You have myself. You have uh, the pilots who have their la- the final say. Actually, the the last line of defense is the pilot who has the the right of ref- the final right of, of course, refusal. Yeah, yeah. So he's your actually your last Clearly. your last line. So but we're just I'm just part of a big team that but I do have the the, the guy the pilot can be like, "Sorry, there's puke all over this console." Yeah, I'm, I'm not taking off. this airplane. <laughs> I'm not taking or, off. <laughs> or I have had I've had pilots. I've I Okay, let's I've hear some stories. Them, no, I basically said, "Okay, yeah, we can dispatch." And the captain has decided, no, I'm not comfortable. I understand what you're saying, but I'm not comfortable and I'm not taking the aircraft. And And that's how they put it. Like they're not going to take her out. They're not going to take the aircraft out. So basically they had to find another aircraft, deplane the passengers, deplane the the baggage. And the, the captain was within his right. He wasn't, there was something that niggled and he wasn't comfortable. And so he gets to make that call. Yeah, he gets to make that call. It's part of their... Uh, well, you're all part of the, the same team. But and, we're all part of the same the, team. The, the goal is to ensure the safety of the passengers. Our goal is to get the passengers from point A to point B in a safe and comfortable manner. So does that fuck with you? No. Like making those calls? No, it doesn't. I, no? I've been doing it for too long now. Yeah. And I've been doing this job And you're for, good at it. I'm good at my job. Yeah. He's still um, in it. He's still doing he's it. Still doing it. And the fact is that in my present position, I've been doing it for 13 years now. Yeah. So I know the airplanes. I know them pretty well inside and out. So I'm comfortable when I I get a call at two in the morning. It's eight o'clock in the morning in London. These guys are all bright eyed and bushy tailed, ready to back off. And that's one of the questions I get the most often. Hey, Mark, how's it going? Uh, do you happen to have your books close by? No, I do not sleep with a library of aircraft manuals beside my bed. Can't, can't you get them on your phone now? Can you get them in, like, apps? Uh, no. Wait, no. they're not on your bedside table? No, they're not. You mean they're not your actual bed? You don't sleep on your I don't sleep on my book. Oh, that would be uncomfortable. Yeah. See, for, for somebody who no. doesn't live that, that reality, like it, it would almost seem like you know you hear all these stories of air traffic controllers. You know, like yeah. how... Those guys just like go through so much stress and burn out and have such a like a hard time mm-hmm. of it. Like I would imagine that there would be some component of that to what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. The, the the first few times that I got phone calls, I was second guessing myself, saying, "Did I let the plane go? Am I okay?" Jesus, hmm. exactly. And, and all like, these people's lives are like. Oh yeah, in the when, when you when you let a big a big aircraft like a seven eight seven or an A three thirty with two hundred plus passengers and crew on board, uh, I hope I made the right call. Seriously, yeah. yeah. So, I just let a village take off. I mean, pretty much, <laughs> uh, or a small a small uh, a small town in northern Quebec, you know, right. just uh, just <laughs> taken off, and it's like, well, now today I'm just 
I know I know my job. I'm more comfortable, and I'm more comfortable with my understanding of the job. So yeah, no, it doesn't doesn't phase me anymore. It's uh, well, I, for the record, I would be very comfortable taking off in a plane where well, you made the you. decision to, to take off. That's heartening. Thank you. It's one of the reasons I, I'm very fond of you, uh, sir. If I may put it that way, without sounding patronizing, is I in this day and age, especially uh, I've I. It's so rare to meet people where you can just this is not even something that you can, I can really compliment you for but it's just you immediately get a sense that this person has worked for a living that they take pride in their work that respect uh, you know uh, consideration all the, they have all of these these values that are so human but at the same time you can like you can crack a joke with the person have a good laugh yeah. you, you know do some nose picking and some beers <laughs> like you know and some fart yeah. jokes like that to me is a total package. Or I mean, even being taken for pornographers. They, oh my God! <laughs> now we get it. Now we got to tell that story. Come real on, quick. we have to add that. You one, have Jason. to. Jason, you There's have no to choice. Oh yeah. my God! Okay, so how did you were start? moving me at that point? I think yeah. right? we were moving you. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think the the context. These are two was, of my principal movers, by the way. That's right. <laughs> These guys have showed up every time I need to move. If you want move. your stuff moved fast order in an orderly fashion <laughs> and you want a couple of great call please yeah. call mark and jason, jason yes. mark and jason moving company <laughs> okay so we were moving you from from your old place into your new place into my present place into your present place right yeah and i think one of the things that really yeah i think what started there was a bar downstairs like yeah right and not Outside just a bar. Old place. It was, yeah, yeah, sketchy. It was uh, kind of scuzzy. Yeah. yeah. We call Irish a lot of bar. places dives, but I think this was the real deal. Yeah. Pretty. It much. was right downstairs for me. Right. And I would never go there. The clientele was like. I would never ever go there. <laughs> raspy voiced yeah, waitresses. Yeah. Horrible. Uh, just terrible people with Sketch. terrible, terrible. Just maybe good people, but just so far gone. Right. So there's this diving. There's this dive of dives. Just, just down the street, or just a, just a block. Not even, not even right, a block. Right, it was right there, right fucking there, right next to my, the, my door. I remember what set it off was that first of all, a bunch of drunks came out of that place to have a cigarette. Right. Yeah. Um, and one of them was this weird, like six foot, like eight dude. Oh yeah, he was big. He was a tall yeah, guy, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. This tall. It was the first time I ever saw a, a fat guy that was so tall. Yeah. Giant. Mm-hmm. Just a giant fat man. And then he kept looking over at us, yeah, right? Because yeah. we're just like going up. We're taking out like your uh, stereo system or whatever. And I think that's what tweaked him too is we're gear. taking the speakers out and that's all the audio. Weird to all the big speakers yeah, yeah, too. Exa- yeah, yeah, exactly. They've got yeah. The t- like the tall boy mm-hmm. speakers. And there was also, if I remember correctly, you were wearing some sort of aviation shirt. Is that possible? <laughs> when am I not wearing what are you some not wearing sort of aviation shirt? Right shirt right exactly. But you were wearing... <laughs> It looked like some sort of like uh, uh, like possibly even military looking shirt. Like it had it a could little. Could very bit. well be yes. And for those of you, obviously, you know, you can't see Mark, but uh, he's a, he's a tall fellow. He's six foot four. Six four. He looks like uh, a bouncer. He looks like a bouncer, but he's also got like glasses, and he's got like a, a like a five o'clock shadow, and he could be mistaken for like a, a movie director. You know, like a seventies movie director in a the movie right context. Director or a bouncer. Or bouncer. Or, or a performer. Or a performer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just like if I look, you look at Mark, you look at Mark and you feel like there's a story. Oh, pow, there's a story. Pow, wow. <laughs> he's, do, 
you, he could be like a guy that like like lands or planes or something. Like, yeah. or, for instance, you know, just a crazy job. So this 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 giant fat guy is just like staring at us, and he, he but he's not looking at us in that creepy way. He's no, kind of no. looking at us like he thinks he's figured something out yeah, about yeah. us. Yeah, right? he, he's got something on us. Yeah. And now at this point, my memory gets a bit hazy. I don't remember how he approached us. He just he was having a smoke, and then he just on the second load, we're stuffing another set of speakers. And he says, "I know what you guys do," and they're, "Oh yeah, what do we do?" He says, "You guys are pornographers." Oh, that's right. And I'm yeah. there, and I look at him like, "What the fuck?" How did you know? It's like, what what tipped you off? And he says, "The sound gear and all those stands. That's for the lighting." And he says. You're you're some kind of director guy, and he points at me. He, then he points at you, and he says, "You're the sound guy." And I'm looking, and I'm looking <laughs> at Jason. I'm there. He's a real director. I've never, not even close to anything movie wise. But I think I know what set him off. Is like the the sound equipment definitely like got yeah. him suspicious. But I think what was weird is by pure accident, all the people that came to help you drove gray SUVs. Oh, crap, yeah. Right? That's, That's true. true. So there's like yeah. four gray SUVs in front of your house, yeah. double parked, right? And good SUVs, too, like yeah. not crappy ones, right? Like good good condition, uh, good quality SUVs, all gray. Kind of looked like a fleet, if yeah. you will, right? It really did. And Good point. But by complete red, like the only person that didn't have one was, I think, um, uh, Kay, who was driving uh, Matrix, I think. Yeah, exactly. But blue. it was also gray. Oh, I think. No, was blue. It, it was blue. But it was but she was around the corner, the corner right. so it corner. didn't, it didn't yeah. count. So there's like three or four gray SUVs <laughs> double yeah, parked in front there. of your house. It looks like like Secret Service style. Yeah, and because as, as we mentioned before, uh, um, Mark and I immediately bond. Like the second we meet, we get into these great conversations. conversations. He's either telling me about a movie yeah, I need to see, or you're telling me about a movie you've seen that I should see, or a book you've read. Yeah, and we're ta- probably talking movies and stuff. There's too. like so camaraderie, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. maybe this guy overheard us talking yeah, about yeah. movies. Uh, and hilariously, he, he pegs me as the porn di- film director, and this is the cameraman or the sound guy. No, right? you're the sound guy. You're the sound guy. I was you're the, the sound director. guy. Yeah. Director? Yes, yeah. because I Mark found it director. so funny. He says, you're the director, oh, and you're thought- the sound guy. And I'm there. He's a real one, uh, not me. That's even better. Okay, <laughs> good. That's even better. Uh, exactly. I See mean, how you I misremember things? I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I'm there. There's a real movie director here. And it isn't me. But so the, like, that's yeah. when it got creepy, though. Yeah. Because so far, so good. We have a good laugh. And then the more we're trying to tell this guy mm-hmm. that he's got the strong, wow. he's like, no, 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 no. I got you guys. I figured yeah. you guys out. And I want to be in your next movie. That's when he starts mm-hmm. going, guys, how do I get into this business? I got the stuff. I got the stuff for you. Oh, yeah. And then he starts going about like <laughs> what he's willing to do. Do. And, and you know, that, that, yeah, that was. But this wrong. is completely unsolicited. And this guy's like, I'll do anything. I'll do anything, any demented thing you guys like. Yeah. I'll do it all. I'll do it all, man. Anything you want. And we're just like, we're like, please, yeah, God, no, somebody no, come exactly. down with a box. He starts describing like some oh, yeah. demented shit. Oh, yeah. He starts uh. talking about what he's willing to do and how he's willing to do it and how well equipped he is. <laughs> yes. And I'm looking at Jason. I'm there. Let's get out of here before this guy whips out his yeah, Johnson yeah. on us. That was the next step. Well, I'd yes. like to take this opportunity to thank you both it's again for helping me move. You need to thank us twice. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, once for you. moving Thanks you again. and once for having to deal with this dude. <laughs> thank you for surviving But what was situation. funny was we had gone in. 
we'd come out, we'd go in, we'd go out, and every time he'd up his requests oh, yeah. and his flexibility on doing things. And at one point, there was a couple of women standing out there having a smoke, and he was eyeing them, and I thought he was going to give us a demo on Seriously. the on, on the, uh, on the yeah. street here. Well, by now, he's probably told these two women that he, he's hooked into these guys who That's are right. probably doing porn right. shit. And, <laughs> when you really look at it, I can completely understand his misconceptions, like how he made these mistakes. But he was also drunk, right? Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. I thought it was absolutely. We were. I remember how hard we were laughing in the car. <laughs> Once the car was packed up, yeah. and we took off, we were like, you know, like yelling into the the windshield, tears, laughing, tears rolling down your face. I was. That was. That's great. Couldn't have happened to a more like in a more random way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was a beautiful moment that we shared. Exactly. <laughs> Being harassed by a guy who wanted to show us his 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 penis. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. See, this is what adversity. It breeds. It breeds uh, brothers and uh, and bonding. Mm. Well, anyway, listen, Mark. Um, I just I've, we're gonna have to absolutely. I say this every time, but we're we're gonna have to have you back because I feel like oh, we for sure. barely scraped the surface on this. Oh yeah, and it's always a pleasure talking with you guys. Please come I back. Enjoyed myself. I'm so Thank glad you. that you uh, you you took. This is your first podcast. Absolutely. <clears throat> this is great. That makes me somehow prouder. <laughs> to whenever we get a we get a first timer because yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, we're kind of first timers at this too and um, uh, it, not only was it great to have you but like I feel like this was a very special episode 10 it was very special for me and I appreciate you guys having me so thanks a lot thanks guys. for helping us usher the double digits in my the pleasure fire anytime woohoo fire in the hole so that's about all the time we have today for episode 10 thanks for listening guys yeah that was a great one uh, remember to subscribe, remember to like or dislike or comment uh, or interact with our show in any way that you see fit. We live and die by your comments. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, feel free to comment, feel free to s- suggest topics. Uh, if there's guests that's been on the show that you like uh, and you want to see them back, I mean, we certainly want to see a bunch of them back, um, if not all of them back and in different combinations. Fuck yeah. But uh, I think this has been a really great one. So that was episode 10 for Fire in a Hole. This is Jason. And Richard. Fire in your hole.